Welcome to The Rec Room with Mandy and Mio, a podcast about books and the people who write them. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We're here now in The Rec Room. Yo, yeah. Rec Room. <laughs> I didn't know where you Sorry. were going. <laughs> But it, you know, yeah, you guys know this is the rec room. <laughs> so <laughs> it's I may I make it sound like there is like a hype. I, I made it know. sound like there is a, a a hype man yeah, in the rec room. I, yeah, <laughs> you open the doors. You were making it sound like we had people here. <laughs> no, when it's literally just us every time. It's us <laughs> every every, every two day. weeks. You come into the room and you weeks. check if there's anyone new, and I know. Uh, please steer for it. It's literally I just see. us. <laughs> no. Just us, only us. Yeah, but um, what I was uh, trying to set up is uh, that this is a podcast called The Rec Room with Mandy and Neil. This is a podcast where we ask the question, when does the writer's work become required reading? In each episode, we take popular authors of the day and review each entry in their bibliographies to see just how close these writers get to the sweet spot between mainstream breakout success and traditional literary sensibility. My name is Mio. And I'm Mandy. And we are Sorry. talking about uh, the works of Madeline Miller. And this is our second episode Indeed. on her. Last time we talked about The Song of Achilles, her first book, which was this huge, huge, huge success. And it became an especially like iconic like cult classic on sites like Tumblr, where it, like it, it was like sort of at the forefront of like um, I guess fandom culture. We were saying, like Mandy, your experience yeah. with it. Was that you kind of like got exposed to it through, um, through Tumblr, and then like it was like an mm-hmm. interesting contrast for when we formally experienced it through our studies. But her second book is a little less fam- like it's treading like less familiar territory, I would say, because her second mm-hmm. book is um Cersei, mm-hmm. right? And um, absolutely, Cersei like came out like uh, not too long ago, twenty seventeen, I think, and uh. You know, interestingly enough... Was that only 2017? I feel like it's 2017, 2018. Okay. Um, yeah, I thought it was 2018. Yeah, it, it's around that time, uh, not mm-hmm. that long ago. And, and in fact, it helps us to launch into this very interesting uh, thing that we've been holding back about Madeline until now. Because um, of all the authors we've covered on this podcast so far, Madeline oh. Miller... <laughs> Is an author I've actually met in person. Hells. Oh, yeah. So this is the legend. Pew, 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 pew. So we're gonna like briefly go into the legend this story, though. Yeah, this is a very long-winded story that uh, ends in <laughs> Mandy kind of getting mad at me, and you'll you'll find out why. <laughs> it's really like I promise you, like. Uh, Okay, like one thing. So if you guys don't know who, who Mandy and me are. <laughs> who we are. <laughs> so like one thing you, you need to like know straight up about our dynamic. So I love to prank. Like I love playing practical jokes on it's Mandy. It's just pranks. Pranks on Mandy. This, practical. But they're yeah. very wholesome. Like I don't like. Are, these are all one-sided pranks, by the way. Yeah, they're all. They're I have all, never they're, once they're all attempted very wholesome pranks. to prank back. They're wholesome one-sided pranks. Yeah, like pranks. some of the pranks were like. When we convinced the entire school to dunk on you because you... I know that was so bad. <laughs> yeah. You did that to me twice. Yeah, yeah. We convinced an entire university to, to dunk on her because everyone knew that uh, Les Mis was her favorite thing in the world. 
that, that's a story for another time, of course. What I'm here to tell is sorry, practical... three times. I'm thinking of three times that you did that. Right, right, right. Well, well, the practical <laughs> joke that we're thinking of this time. This is... was the best one. I will have to say that this is one of your like top three best ones that I would all like. Right, that okay. I, forgive. Well, I think I think we've set it up enough. Let's 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 go into the story. So uh, I mentioned, I think, in the first episode when we were talking about conversations with friends that. Uh, for a year, I was studying in the UK. I was studying a creative writing program. And one of the perks of that creative writing program was that because the university was very uh, invested in um, in literary events, I, I went to University of East Anglia. Uh, every year, there, there was a literary festival that came through. And during one of the terms where I was like, okay, maybe I'll, I didn't really go to the literary festival last year, uh, last term, I'll do it now this term. And so I went, and uh, it turned out that year, one of the guests on the literary festival was Madeline Miller, promoting her new yeah. novel, Circe. And, and, okay, here's, let me let me say up front, I had told you about this. Like, I had told you that she was yes. coming. Yes, yeah, I do remember that. Right? Because so I you, remember being excited. So part of me was like, because I had told you that she was coming, it was kind of fair game <laughs> for me to yeah. play Yeah, no, that's the thing. Because when the thing happened, it wasn't until... I think that's how I was able to put it together. Right, right. Well, let's say what the thing was. Because what happened is oh, that... Okay. Um, so she gave a talk, and then she did a reading. It was really good. Uh, I'll talk a little bit about what she said. Or well, not really, but but like, you know, it was, she was basically talking about Cersei. And then mm-hmm. uh, right after, we would go to the Waterstones. Waterstones. All right, here we go again. Waterstones. And out. where she did like a Shout book signing. Shout out to signing. the fully booked of uh, the yeah. UK. And while we were there, I, I said to myself, man, it would be so funny if I bought a copy of this new book, which I know Bandy hasn't bought yet or hasn't read mm-hmm. yet. Yeah. Had Madeline sign it and then address it to her and then mail it to Mandy. So that's exactly what I did. I, <laughs> I bought a copy on the spot and then I took it to the cashier I paid for it with my own oh money uh, and then I went in line uh, a line that you can't like get into these days because of social distancing so it was not a very socially distanced line and then I waited yeah. my turn and when I got to Madeline I said hi uh, and I, I, I was able to write down Mandy's name I was like could you write this out to my, my best friend she's uh, what, she's Aww. such a big fan of yours, and uh, it would mean the world to her if you could write this book out to her. And the one thing Madeline Miller said to me is like, "Wow, you must be a really good friend." And I was like, <laughs> "Maybe I am. Maybe I am. We'll see by the end of the story." So, uh, flash forward two days later, I'm already telling Mandy, "Hey, you haven't read yet, Cersei, right?" And she, yeah. you, you were like, nah, "Not, not yet. It still like hasn't come out here yet in the Philippines." So I said, "Okay, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, I'm like, and then like I was, I remember you were even considering possibly buying it." And I was like, yes, okay, you. I wanted to tell that part. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Because go, go, that was over. like, I think, okay, so this event happened. And then the thing about also about like me and Mio is that I mentioned this in like our first episode, I think, is that you definitely read more than me. So that means whenever I want to have something new to read, I always ask you. And so that was one of those days. This was like wait, months after the Madeline event, I think, in Munich at your school and then I was literally at fully booked and I saw it at like a copy of it already there because they had announced they had just announced it or something it was like in the new bestsellers Mm -hmm. 
And I was like, oh my God, it's here. Um, and then I asked you, because you had, I said, should I get this book or this other book that you recommended? And then you were like, you know what? I really think maybe you should like hold out on that one. Yeah. I can't yeah. remember. No, I, I remember. And then, and then remember, your reasoning, Pa. Yeah. Do you remember your reasoning? Yes, yes, I do. My My reasoning was that, well, you know, like the other book is in paperback. And then Cersei just came yes, out. Yes, so and Cersei hardcover. was just, it was so only on hard. Expensive. So yeah, if you wait like out a while, two. yeah, you'll say you'll get mm-hmm. savings if you wait. And by the time you finish exactly. the, the other book that I told you to get, then yes. probably Cersei will be out in paperback by then. It's true. Like, perfect. It's true. Absolutely nailed it. I don't know how long it takes yeah. to like post things to the Philippines yeah, from the UK. Exactly. But God willing, that's no, how long it takes. No, but that was really, yeah, yeah, yeah. It that's actually true, and so like that happened, and then I completely forgot about it, and I didn't yeah. really need to have another book again. I guess for, right? No, like, no, no. A long actually, that's not necessarily true because side tangent. You then ordered a separate book entirely. No, on I was the getting internet. there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So I was in between that. I also went on this site called Book Depository, mm. and they do ship books from the UK also. Um, but they thankfully did not have Cersei on because they usually there's like specialties, right? Or like mm-hmm. a lot of old books that are like harder to find, I guess, especially if you're like here in the Philippines. And I was looking for um, an anthology of like this play by, of these plays by, um, oh my God, I totally forgot who it is. But the guy who wrote Picnic. And I got that anthology specifically for the play Picnic. Because Sebastian was Stan was in that play, <laughs> and I really wanted to read that. This is play. this is the second um, of two Madeline Miller episodes where you've invoked Bucky and or Sebastian Stan. Just wanted to the keep, second of I'm, two. I'm like Thank not that you. I'm not that I'm keeping count, yeah, but just I know, so we but put it's it not that Sorry. Anyway, it's my life anyway, is entwined anyway, with anyway. this curse. Anyway, so I was really waiting for it because, like, you know, I couldn't even like find like free pdfs of this play you know so i was really annoyed and then uh book depository deliveries take like one to two months to get here from the uk to the philippines so i really waited it out and then like i really remember being so frustrated because it had been over a month already mm-hmm. and i was really like oh what should i do and i remember you gave me the tip pa to email them and yeah. be like, hey, my book hasn't arrived yet. What do you think happened? And they, and then most likely they'll say sorry and then send you a, a, a new copy for free. Yeah. Um. So that's what I ended up doing. And I now have two copies of that <laughs> anthology. <laughs> they sent you two um, books anyway. Yeah, okay. The, yeah, yeah. But then... But here's the thing. Before you even got no, the first I, copy... Before I even got the first copy, yeah. So like literally I emailed them and then for real, a couple of days later... I got a package. Yeah, your grand and your I was like, grandfather. To the, yeah. Your grandpa was like, hey, uh, "There's a something that we have to get from the post office for you." Yeah, he was like upset about it because he hates going to the Marquina post office. Gonna call them out, Marquina post office. You guys suck. So he so he went, <laughs> and then I had come home from work, and I guess it was late. It was probably like eight o'clock, which is really late for us. And um, I just remember having like a really bad day and coming home to that was like awesome because I was like, yeah, I get to read this super sexist play from the 50s, but I asked for this. So, um, and so I opened it <laughs> and it was a really big one. It was really big, pa. so I was kind of like, I didn't realize this anthology was going to be so big. 
And then I could feel that it was hard copy, and I was like, wow, that was actually really cheap for like hard copy. Maybe that writer is really like not well loved anymore. I don't know. <laughs> and uh, so I open it, and then I really remember the feeling of pulling the pulling it out of the 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 bag and or like the packaging and like reading it slowly and like the cover and not and being like illiterate for like a second okay and then and then pause there and then like pause there yeah switch perspectives yet again so it's around like 9 a.m for me in the uk i've just had breakfast i've made my own coffee i was living in the dorm back then and like you know i was just like minding my own business it was like this was this was in in june by the way so it was like late summer still getting the warmth and i was like yeah i'm really feeling this it was uh, probably raining yeah. like shit over not, here. not really not even, oh it was raining, raining over oh. there yeah 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 probably probably, yeah. probably was and then yeah. um and then suddenly i get this text on on my phone and the yeah. text is from mandy and i'm kind of alarmed because the text <laughs> is not only in all caps but it it sounds quite violent and I'm going to read to you the text exchange that then that came out of that. So the message that I got on my phone, like unprompted, completely unsolicited, the, the, the texts I got were, I quote, Are you awake? You fucker. <laughs> and then I replied, dot, 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 dot. Yes. What did I do? Dot, 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 dot. And then you sent me a shot of the book, Circe, by Madeline Miller, hard copy, mm -hmm. with an autograph yeah. inside. Yeah. And then you said, is this from you? And then the funny thing is that in the picture, you can see the mailing envelope behind yeah. it, uh, which is also funny because I had written it out in my handwriting, which is, as yes. you know, as we were, we were trying to remember the story, yeah. you said is very distinct. So that should have been like your first dead giveaway that I it know. was from me. But it's it like totally... No, but you know why I probably didn't realize it? Because I remember you also asking me later, like, you were like, how come you couldn't tell it was me? And then I said, because it had like a stamp or something from the UK. And I was really expecting this stupid anthology of plays to come from the UK. <laughs> so all I saw when I saw the that it was a package and it felt like a book and it said like from the UK. Yeah. I literally was like, this is it. Okay, let, 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 let me like let me finish the text exchange because then you said, oh, yeah, is on. this from you? And I just right. said, oh. And then like <laughs> five messages of me just going, ha, 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 Sorry, no, and then, April like, the Fool's gotta that. wait another month for your book depository <laughs> shit. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, the best part is, so, like, I'll just... This is going on our stories also, but I'm gonna just, you know, recount it here. But, like, the picture I sent you, I'm pretty sure... Is it the one where it says the note with my name? No, it's literally just the cover. Oh, okay. So I also have a picture cause I, of the inside because if you look at it in the cover, it's the, I mean like on the first page, it's where she signed obviously. So it says Mandy and then signed Madeline. And then there was also a little note that said Mandy in, in your handwriting. And then you had, li and then under my name it said, it also said got you again, 
fucker or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then you had told me that that was the paper that you used to write my name down so that she wouldn't spell it wrong. Mm-hmm. And then so you were like, so she's touched that piece of paper. Yeah, <laughs> literally, like, literally. Yeah, no, she has. And I still have it. So there is that. And that was crazy. And that's, <laughs> that's how you that's know, like, like, all my pranks are very wholesome, as you can tell. I know. Other prank pranks include uh, you lying to my face about your whereabouts. That's true. I've lied to you Only for about you to show which up. country I was in, only to show up in <laughs> yeah, your house. That's true. You uh, better I, I told you I was in Scotland. <laughs> I was actually in your house in... <laughs> Literally my house. You were in my house. <laughs> Anyway, you were like, um, "Hey, I'm not gonna be able so, to text yeah, you for so, two so very, days." Very, very wholesome. Anyway, things. anyway, one of the things that um, I think is sort of different this time is that okay, so last time we were talking about Song of Achilles, and we were able to link that very directly into the Iliad, so that uh, like those of our listeners who are familiar with the Iliad would be instantly familiar with um, like Achilles and Patroclus and all these things, and we even got our friend Leon to step in and explain a bit like his sort of sense of the context of the Iliad and the Odyssey and Homer and all these things. But uh, with Circe, that's this, this is not really the case because yeah. um, you know, I've, I've read the Odyssey and mm-hmm. Circe is something of a side character. She comes yeah, out in bit, not even that long. Right. So like she, she basically, she basically comes out in one book of the Odyssey and that's book 10. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the thing about that is that um, she doesn't even like appear. So like for those of you who may not be familiar with the Odyssey, the Odyssey opens. It's like one of the most famous stories to open in Medias Res. Like it happens like just mm-hmm. as like Odysseus who has sailed back to Ithaca from the Trojan War for after 10 years in the Trojan War. He spends another 10 years at sea. And the mm-hmm. poem proper opens like like basically running towards the end of that 20-year gap. And mm-hmm. um, when Circe's section appears, it doesn't even appear presented as a scene, uh, like a, a real-time scene. It's presented as a story that Odysseus tells to like um, some yeah. hosts who happen to save a ship that gets like shipwrecked mm-hmm. in some island somewhere. So like mm-hmm. that's sort of the context is that she's like this one character who appears in this one book uh, and very, very few things are kind of like known about her based on that book alone. Like mm-hmm. all you yeah. know about her is that she's a witch. Um, when I was like watching this interview uh, of Madeline Miller, she was saying that, that Cersei's actually the first witch in Western literature and um wow. like sort of her thing is that she turns men into pigs like that was sort of her big trick yeah that was uh, her thing which yeah. odysseus is able to like circumvent by like taking uh this molly root which uh hermes gives to him to protect him from cersei's spells and basically um that allows odysseus to kind of like break through her defenses and she basically mm-hmm. takes him in as a lover and they stay on her island for a year until they remember, like, okay, actually, we're kind of longing to go back home. So let's go back home. So she sends them yeah. off to, like, uh, she says, okay, you have to stop first by the underworld to see Tiresias, and he'll give you the directions to find your way back home to Ithaca. Uh, so, mm-hmm. And that's basically the entirety of her story of the yeah. Odyssey, right? Um, but uh, yeah. if you look further into, like, the Greek mythological canon, you'll see that her role is actually a lot bigger 
going all the way down to like the children that she eventually has uh like mm-hmm. her her bloodline like ends up becoming like sort of crucial in the founding of Rome and like what will eventually become like right. the Aeneid and with Virgil and all these like Roman founding myths Madeline Miller she was like uh, talking at the Chicago Humanities Festival and she was saying um that for her like the interest came from the the sort of vagueness that surrounded this character that okay she's very interesting because she's a witch and you know like that's sort of exciting uh plus like you know she's one of the few women characters in the odyssey who has power but isn't really punished for it at least in the context of the odyssey uh and when she sees it when she gets to that scene like it kind of just like blows by it's like like okay like oh okay odysseus manages to charm his way into her bed and that's kind of it like that's the whole story And for her, she felt like there must be something deeper to this. Like, there must be a reason that she chooses to turn men into pigs. There must be a reason right. that she tells him to go to the yes. underworld or like where where she gets her power from. Because like her power is clearly mm-hmm. not divine, uh, and it comes mm-hmm. from somewhere else. And she has all these animals that are hanging out around her, and like that's like mm-hmm. that's what she basically wanted to dig into for this book. I I also want to mention. Okay, so at this juncture. I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, my first ever exposure to the Odyssey, because in class, yeah, yeah. Th- did you ever? Did you ever have to like? No. Like, do you remember what your first exposure to the Odyssey was? Uh, I actually, I don't. Okay, I remember. I don't think I do. The thing yeah, is, I remember that in like late grade school or high school, the nineteen ninety seven NBC miniseries adaptation of the Odyssey. Of the Odyssey, you've, NBC. Yeah, and you've never you've never heard of not this, even right? BBC. No, okay, you've never heard of this, right? I, I mean, like clearly it was, no. at the time, like very big, like epic drama, oh. and given like the budget at the time, like you know the effects of the time. Yeah, it's very rough yeah. stuff. Well, but what year was it? Sorry, ninety seven. Ninety seven. Now, now here is the thing. Now, without looking it up, I, I want you yeah. to know the the cast of Who this adaptation is oh like God. very loaded. So like. Odysseus is played by Armand Asante, who th- this is the only thing I know him for. I don't know him in anything else. His but what is it? It's from um, the same scene. Athena is played by Isabella Rossellini. No! Tiresias <laughs> is played by Christopher Lee. Um, what is this the, cast? The dad of Emma Roberts appears as one of the head suitors. Oh my gosh. Um, I'm like trying to remember. Um, okay, well, here's the main thing. Guess who plays Cersei? It's somebody you know. Somebody I know? It's somebody... Like, when I tell you who it is, you won't expect it. Uh, yeah. But I, it's someone you definitely know. Right now. Do I have a favorite movie of this person? I wouldn't Did say you know? a favorite movie. Oh, favorite play? Musical? Perhaps. What? All right. How old is this person? Would you like me to tell you who it was? Oh, my God. I'm so shook. Okay, who? Playing the role of Cersei. Oh, my God. Was I have not looked this up? I swear. The Broadway legend. Oh my God, Idina Menzel. <laughs> Bernadette Peters. No. <laughs> oh my God. So I want you to just okay. imagine. Imagine. No, like, but as soon as you said it, I saw it. Imagine like you know what I mean. Really shows up and she's like, Odysseus, and she's like, son of Laertes, Yeah. No. And no. And can you just imagine? Your dryest leaves in winter, but there is harbor here. <laughs> I hate this specifically. I was gonna say no, but 
the whole bit about her voice. <laughs> yeah. Like Cersei's voice being different. <laughs> so, no, but like, you think that's what they knew? Like, I rewatched they it. were like I rewatched it before. Oh, did you? Yeah, before this week. And like I was like, like the whole thing? trying Yeah, specifically the Cersei portion, because I wanted to see like mm. how does that match in my mind. Uh and like it, it is as you would expect, very brief, it's very sensual. Um, but like her it's Bernadette Peters, man. <laughs> what can I say? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that very was like true. my first exposure to the Odyssey. So surprisingly, that's really not who yeah. I was expecting. Well, I'm I, still shook. I literally saved that for this moment. I didn't want to tell you. I didn't want to hint it to you. Um, no, you did not. Absolutely. Yeah, so I kept that secret. That was good. So um, um, the interesting thing also is that uh, I don't know if we mentioned this in the last episode, but Song of Achilles took Madeline about ten years to write, and that when it came out in 2011, yeah. the time between uh, Song of Achilles and Cersei was about six, seven wow. years. So she spent a lot less time, I guess, writing, working on this book, like directly after Song of Achilles. But like you can see sort of her methodology in writing Cersei had a little less to do with following what happens necessarily in the canon than it does with uh, trying to like explore these character portraits in a very interesting way. And I'm actually going to like kind of preempt my evaluation a bit there. Because I, I I honestly have so many feelings about this book. Uh, of the four <laughs> books, of the four books that we've read so far, it might be my favorite. Yeah, really? Yeah, I'm not kidding. Wow. I like that's why that's why I'm saying like. So we were trying to record this no, episode how many days in a row, and I was saying it's almost like I'm being yeah, edged. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, because I just need, okay. to, I need to <laughs> yeah. talk about this book. It's like it's really you know, he, but he it's was blowing really excited my mind. about this. It's blowing my mind because like. Like, okay, the thing about Madeline Miller is that she has a very particular style of storytelling that I would say is comprehensive. Yes. Like, uh, she yeah. assumes, like, the perspective of character. And then she'll follow yeah. the character pretty much their entire lives. And even in the case of Patroclus, like, after his death. Into death, yeah. Cersei literally spans a thousand years. Uh, but the way it reads, you know, it it, it also reads like it's it's kind it, of like going through the life of one person, which it is. I mean, but yes. but it, the, yeah, yeah, but it sort of like scales down that thousand years in a pretty impressive way, which like I kind of yeah. like have been thinking about yeah. a lot since I finished the book. And, and the thing about it that I really like is that it it's this very moving portrait of a person whose feelings change over time. Yes. Like you see that she ends up wanting really different things for yeah, herself. Her life. Yeah, from the beginning and and you see how that's rooted mm-hmm. like okay, like I I really love it when writers are able to depict changes in aspirations and how that aspiration yeah. those aspirations are linked to age, to youth especially that what you want yes. as a young person Experience. is not what you want as an older person. And in fact, like mm-hmm. that, that fits very well with the Odyssey because some part of the Odyssey, the story of the Odyssey is um, Odysseus kind of like coming out of the Trojan War and he's so high on the glory and victory of the war. He's like, I can do literally yeah. anything. Anything. And, yeah. And he, and he goes out and he kind of does everything and he's like, Ugh, maybe yeah. I can't really, like, maybe I don't really want to do everything. And yeah. that's sort of like the way of interpreting how the Odyssey is about age, no? With Cersei, like, there's something at, about this that's a little more complex 
but it also feeds into how this book is also very slow in its pace. Yeah. Like, did, did you feel but that? But also, mm-hmm. it's it's it's. This is why I thought that this book was much longer than Song of Achilles, but like, uh, it's lesser chapters definitely. I think they're just longer chapters also. Mm. But then I feel like it's what I wanted to say was that it's like a bit of both. Now, Parang, you feel like it's very it's been a long time, but then also whenever she says something like Cersei says something casual like. It's probably been decades, but for me, it felt like months or something yeah. like that. Yeah, like you really feel that with her, like like uh, whenever people jolt back actual time at her, she has no idea. Well, because you know she's been in isolation, and right. I guess maybe that's why this is a good thing to read right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are all isolated. Yeah, she, she I just was, thought of that now. She, yeah, that's I true. Now. I, I never now. really thought about that aspect, but she has. Yeah, she does I remain socially. Literally socially distance for like very, eight, 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 and and like us, she did not really ask for this. Yeah. Well, she did, but then you know, right? But like, I also uh, really that's what I enjoy about this because uh, in a different way that uh, you know, parang with with Song of Achilles, I guess it also had to do with Patroclus being mortal? Question mark. Mm-hmm. But you could really feel every year. Yeah, past because yeah. almost every chapter was at least one year. Yeah, and um, with Cersei, uh, like literally, I may, decades again, decades could pass between chapters. And another thing I wanted to say was that I think another thing that makes it like so in interesting in a newer way that like Song of Achilles could not be was well. It, this is related to what you were saying, Naparin. You can see her growth. Mm-hmm. And like you, and I guess because of that, Madeline had more room to really flesh out this growth compared to Song of Achilles, whereas you couldn't really see. I mean, you could you could tell that Patroclus was different, you know, between yeah. him before Achilles and him after, and then him before the war and then them after. But again, there was no room to really flesh that out, right? Or well, in the same way I mean, that she gets to do here, like there, there is some like I'm thinking back of like the growth of Patroclus in that book, and there's certainly like it's shown in the way like he kind of grows from like even outside of his relationship oh, with yeah, like his way outside of his relationship with Achilles, like when he there's a whole friends. thing. Yeah, he starts making friends, which is like a far cry from yeah. how like he was kind of shunned yeah, by he, everyone, no? Yeah. And, like, that becomes sort of his driving force yeah. for him to, like, beg right. Achilles, like, hey, we need to do something about these guys because uh, our, all our friends are gonna die, right? And yeah. you see and that Achilles kind of, is literally, like, your friends. Right, yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> but but with, with Cersei, there's, like, sort of a bigger challenge here for Madeline to overcome because a lot of these changes that she's having to overcome are done really in isolation. And yes. like they're triggered by moments where she has to, or she's forced into encounters with like other like to... beings, other gods or mm-hmm. other men. But for the most part of it, she re- you're really kind of steeped in the fact that she's exiled on this island uh-huh. alone. Which is like, yeah. I guess that's part of what accounts for, like, okay, like I will say like, part of what accounts for the somewhat slow pace of this novel is that there's so much of it that has to do with showing her process. Like when she first, like I'm going to jump ahead a bit, but like when she first gets to the Island, yeah. When she first gets to the Island, 
she she spends like a whole chapter chapter just, just like yeah yeah just showing how yes. she explores the island and figures out okay if i get this flower and i put it with this root mm-hmm. i could actually come up with a dye that will allow me to color this cloth and <laughs> it's like whoa this yeah. is this is going to take a while <laughs> but, yeah but like <laughs> oh she's doing base, basic home things yeah. first okay <laughs> but again it 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 just also does this sort of magic effect on you as the reader that makes you feel like whoa both a lot of time has passed and hasn't passed uh yeah. which again feeds into what i think is so moving about the end which i'll get in a while yes uh i think i think and also i think what helps is that knowing that like she she kind of always mentions that she doesn't really need to sleep anyway yeah because they're gods yeah so like i don't know that was something that like i always thought about like like especially in that chapter when she was just doing shit i was like don't you gotta rest but then i remember (laughs) right yeah they they don't have to unless they literally know (laughs) yeah she she does not have to rest yeah, I, I think we can go straight into talking about Cersei now, the book. So yeah. um, we've already sort of like explained like the context around her, like who she's supposed to be in the context of this of this epic, the Odyssey. Uh, when the book begins, it literally begins with her birth. And the way it's sort of explained is that she's the daughter of a titan and a nymph. Uh, she's the daughter of Helios, who is basically the sun titan. And then her mom is Percy, who uh, is basically like a, a nymph, like a water nymph, who's like a daughter of Oceanos, the ocean, um, which makes Cersei effectively like a nymph herself. And it, it's interesting because like right, right off the bat, you have there's this hierarchy of like divinity. The, the gods are basically on top. Uh, the titans... They've mostly been vanquished except for the ones who we actually see in the novel because they've struck a peace with Zeus. And it's a very uneasy truce, but it's there. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. nymphs are basically the lowest. Like, the way, like, Madeline was saying it. Is like, that, they're almost on the same level as mortals. But not not even, because, like, they're, they're sort of... So, like, the way Madeline was, like, putting it is that they're sort they they still have some divinity which makes them desirable to mortals but not desirable to gods gods can basically treat them as less than themselves so like like if you look back at thetis that was kind of why they felt like okay there's license for us to gift thetis to this man even though thetis doesn't really want this man because for us like she's not really anything but for the man he sees her as already a god. So it's like, it's like yeah, this very yeah. interesting power dynamic where they're kind of like, you know, right. that's kind of like the the status quo. Yeah, and jumping ahead, like one of them, Helios offers Thetis to someone yeah. later on. And that to Glaucus, guy to Glaucus. was even like, yeah, to Glaucus. Okay, you're going to say it. To Glaucus. And Glaucus was like, eh. Yeah. No, it's okay. Someone else. Yeah, on. so so like the, like the power dynamic <laughs> yeah. is like already very evident. And even then, like, yes. you know, the the whole God thing. So, like, I've always, like, read, um, even, even like, kind of going back into the epics themselves, like, godliness is some mm-hmm. kind of privilege. Like, like the yes. way, the, way the Greeks understood gods or viewed gods or yeah. perceived gods is not, like, the same way, like, that we've been raised in, like, the Catholic tradition. And yeah. kind of, like, it's a very yeah. different way of looking at what a god is. 
for them, gods are more like superpowered beings who are immortal and unchanging. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, they have dominion over certain elements of the earth. Um, yeah. So, like, for th- that means like they have all these emotions, these desires that they kind of like take, you know, they take their whims over the world. For granted? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, like they kind of just like have their way with the world and not really care about mm-hmm. it. They don't have any empathy for it. Because there are no stakes for them. They're yeah, immortal, absolutely. right? Um, yeah. So, yeah. so for me... And like, I do remember that being like heavily touched on when we were studying that in school. Yeah. Like, uh, I said this in our last episode, that like um, a prof- a pro- my professor at the time was like saying that these epics are basically a cautionary tale for you, for, so that you wouldn't be as selfish as these gods. Right. You right. would do something... Like, be so selfish all the time just for, like, no reason. Yeah. Because that was basically mm-hmm. their role, right? But that that also speaks, I guess, to, like, some kind of... Because, like, this is something I was thinking about a lot when we were reading Song of Achilles and even talking about it, is that one of the things that differentiates Song of Achilles with Iliad is that in the Iliad, the gods are basically at the forefront of the conflict. Yeah, They're basically very prominent. Whereas in Song yeah. of Achilles, they're hardly ever there at all. The only gods you ever see yeah. are Cetus and Apollo. Like she, who makes like a, who's like night. yeah literally a cameo. I remember thinking that that was that felt weird to me because a lot of the power balances came from this association to the gods or this relationship with the gods, yeah. no? and bartering with them and yeah. trying to like like mm-hmm. offer them things. Uh, but for the most part of Song of Achilles, they remained an unseen force. And even like when they do offer yeah. sacrifices, you just see the effects of the sacrifice. But you, you just never see, see the, the effects, yeah. You just see like, coming what down happens. to. Yeah. Whereas like here, like necessarily they have to deal with the gods because the nature of Cersei's character is that she has divine heritage, uh, and yeah. and like that sort of like fed into like one of the things that I found exciting about it is that it it explored like it kind of established like okay, there's a status quo between the titans and the gods. Where you know the gods have power over the titans, but the titans have always known that they've there's always been a way that they could come back into power if they wanted to, if they really wanted to, and if they had the power to do it, or if like if they got enough power to do it, they would be easily able they to would. overtake Zeus and all the other gods and mm-hmm. Olympus and the world essentially. Uh, so that's sort of like this underlying status quo that even like the parents of Cersei, who, she, who she, she's afraid of her parents basically. Yeah. They're afraid of someone else. And you kind of like yeah. realize that that fear of the gods kind of fears feeds into their cautiousness towards Cersei. So yes. she's like born into those circumstances. It's also worth noting that Cersei is like the eldest child in her family. She has basically three siblings we know of. Uh, Perseus, Pasiphae, and, Pasiphae a- and, and Aetes. Aetes? Eighties, I, 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 yeah. is it named? I just 80s? realized like eighties, like nineties. Yeah, named after the era. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh no wonder there's so many references to disco. <laughs> I know. Yeah, <laughs> they had yeah. a lot of those. Oh boy, oh boy. Do you think um, it's eighties or is it like eighties? Okay, here's my thing. The the it's the e with the umlaut, so that's pronounced as like big e, right? That's probably a a, a and, it, and it's a e, so it's a eighties. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's eight. We're, like, we're so eighties. Oh, I hate like Western language. I'm sorry to all Greek scholars. Uh, anyway, um, 
yeah, so she's born to that uh, that family. She has the siblings. But the weird thing is that the what if from now on we just call him the Bunso? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay, no, but but here's the thing, because like so that, that's, that's, that's one of the funny thing is that her siblings are constantly undermining her at the same time. Her, yeah, yeah, like which as an Asian did that bother you? <laughs> no, I, okay. I, I mean, I'm like, an only child, and I was so bothered. <laughs> no, I, I mean, like for me, it it. It undermined it to the fact that I, I kept forgetting that she was the eldest sibling, the eldest child, basically. Yeah. Because like right. she was always sort of being for, left me, at I home. But for me, I couldn't forget. I no, she, like yeah. I, I always kept like seeing her like being left at home, and it made me like almost think like she's like a child throughout this whole section of the book. Like she's not growing; she's yeah. just basically smaller than everyone, including her younger siblings, mm-hmm. who are like now growing into these majestic yeah. beings almost. Exactly. Um, but that, that that sort of like. Including the one brother that she gets to take. Yeah, care yeah, of. yeah. Like that's the general idea behind her relationships is that so two of her siblings, yeah. see Pasife and Percy's, she's not good with them. They make fun of her a lot, so she really doesn't like them. Yeah, eighties is the only one that she's kind of cl- basically close to, and he's very inquisitive yeah. and he's very wise and. There, she he's the only one who will talk to her nicely. Like, yeah, and he he like laughs at her jokes. Yeah, her. yeah. So in like he like they spend time on this island where he basically like yeah. shows her like oh this is the world that we live in like it's so nice um, and it's very innocent yeah. and very wholesome. But it's also like his his wisdom is also like part of his divinity because it like kind of yes is is like presumed like oh you have the he has this preternatural sense of the world. And 80s basically, mm-hmm. like, shows, like, yeah, we can actually, we're actually capable, like, the Rule four it. of us, we're capable of, like, manipulating things in nature. Something. And, like, that, yes. that is a running thread throughout the novel that is kind of, like, discussed yeah. over time, what exactly that means. But it's very ominous. Mm-hmm. And, like, surely the, the titans and, like, the, the and, and it starts with that question that he has, Pa, mm-hmm. where he asks her, what, do you, what, do you, what does your divinity feel like? And yeah. she's like, what kind of question is that? I don't know. And he automatically has an answer. And you don't realize that until much later that it's because he had reason to think about it because he already knew. Yeah, yeah. So that, he, they, that the four of them were something else. Now, here's the thing. You, you brought that question up. I think that's a very important question in that first part of the book. Mm-hmm. Because she also finds herself, as much as she ends up thinking about her, what her divinity feels like, whatever that would mean to her, She's also mm. thinking of this other question about the mortals whom she's aware of, uh, oh, and yes. like so that, that has, oh yes, yeah, okay, that brings yes. her to this like very important formative incident in her early yeah. life where she basically meets the Titan okay. Prometheus, and as we all know, Prometheus is the Titan who rebelled against the gods by stealing the fire from Olympus and then bringing it to the mortals, and then like the mortals like have since been able to develop technology from that discovery of fire or from that gift of fire, mm-hmm. which is such a big thing that the gods decided to punish Prometheus for all eternity. And when you see Prometheus for the first time, like he's being whipped by the Furies, and but then um, he eventually gets given the punishment that we all know him for, which is that there's like a crow that comes down and pecks at his liver. He's on a mountain. Yeah, yeah. And like the liver regrows. So that's that's the, yeah. that's the thing that we all know him for. In this novel, what happens is that you see him get whipped by the Fury and kind of as he's left behind to hang there, uh, Cersei sort of takes pity on him and she's like, I don't see why he had to be like 
you know, brought down this way, or even why my dad and my uncles had to stand by and watch as he got punished like this. Like, it's sort of demeaning for us as Titans because, like, this guy is basically one of us and we kind of just let him get yeah. punished this way. So she takes pity on him. She brings him, like, a drink to kind of, like, nurse himself. And Prometheus, like, like you know, he obviously appreciates the gesture and entertains her. And mm. she asks him, okay, so you've seen what the mortals are like. What are they like? So she that's what brings this question to her. At the same time that she's asking what her divinity is, she's also asking about what are humans really like? What's this other side of the world that I don't know? And that yeah. that also that question's also and he important. Basically is yeah. like he says that um well, I don't know. They just the difference with they he says but they look like us, but the difference is that basically they aged and then they yeah. die. Well, he also and then doesn't he, he also that, say like they're all oh, different yeah, no. in their own way, which is like not a very helpful oh, that's true, answer yeah. to her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And she literally was like, "Okay, and then yeah. no." But then and then he brings up the concept of death, yeah, which she had never really heard of before. And then he basically explains the underworld, but to her, and she was just like, "And that happens to them, and then what?" Yeah, and he's like, "Voila!" And yeah. Yeah, so it's it's very much in the dark for yeah. her. I, I, f- I forget when it's brought up in the book, but um, this is something that Madeline Miller talked about a lot in her interview, is that she uh, emphasized there was this point where, like, I'm going to mention it now, but it, it still feels a little unclear to me. But, like, the way they describe Cersei, uh, like, comparing her to the other Titans, is saying that she had the voice of a mortal. Which, oh, like, she had, like, a voice... No, no, no. She had a voice of an owl. Okay, I know exactly what you're talking about because it's one of my favorite parts. Okay. <laughs> so, like, she... she They kept saying that her voice was ugly, right? Like, that was right. one of the biggest oh, right, right, right. insults they had about her. They were always like, you squawk. And then also, her name means owl. Yeah. Her name means owl. And Aetes, his name means eagle. And one of the reasons why they were put together was because they both sounded alike. Right, right, which right. is really squawky and like really high pitched and just annoying to everyone else who lived in the Great Hall or Oceanus's Hall. Whatever. Right, yeah. I don't, I don't. And then, and then it wasn't until she was exiled already, and she met Hermes, who basically admits to liking her right away, um, even if it just means physically. I don't fucking know. And she's kind of questions that she's like, why? Because no one's ever really, well, that's not true. But you know, at that point, she knows that she's different compared to other gods. Like she mm-hmm. has always heard that she is very lesser, especially because of her voice. And when she mentions that, Hermes is like, well, there's nothing wrong with your voice. You just sound like a mortal. Right. Okay. That's and when that, it comes. Like in. really, sh- yeah. That's like when when it shakes her because she's like, what are you talking about? Yeah, and he's like, "Well, I guess I would know because I've spent so much time with him." But mortals just sound like you, and it, it's not that bad. Yeah. So, and then she says, "But, but my brother sounds like me." And then she's like, "Yeah." And she questions, "But how is that possible? I am Titan only." And he's like, "I don't know." <laughs> That's the one time he's like, "I don't freaking know." Yeah, yeah. You really want to explain divinity? Right, and she's right. like, Yeah, okay, fine. So, like, you see, like from a very early age, like she's festering the sort of sense of self hatred, which, like, mm-hmm. you know, she's really like wrestling with because she knows that she doesn't right. have like the powers of her father. 
she like takes more yes. after her mother who is very mean <laughs> like yeah again horrible. Another, like another mean mom category thing yeah. <laughs> um He's super mean right, mom. yeah yeah who like kind of like there's a point that i'm gonna go back to later yeah but there are a lot of annoying women in the first like 250 plus pages yeah. of this book yeah yeah okay go on now Especially so the mom. so like this is all happening um and the thing that's sort of like the first big thing that kind of like upsets cersei's life after this is that she ends up meeting this mortal named glaucos and he's like a fisherman and he like is interested in her and he spends time with her and like she's thinking like you know, I wish I could spend more time with this guy, like, forever, like, basically. But he's immortal, and, like, you know, it would never happen. And the thing is, like, at that point, she already knows a little more about her divinity or her powers. Earlier in the novel, like, Aetis had told her, like, okay, I think I've figured out a little bit more about our divinity, and it has to do with these plants, that these flowers that sprouted out in the places where the gods had fought the titans and the titans had fell, wherever their blood spilled on the soil, it basically sprouted out a special flower. Mm-hmm. And she believes that if she can use the flowers correctly, um, she'll be able to manipulate things and to reveal their true nature. And it's like, it's really very much this thing where it's like, Oh, she's very much dealing with her first love in a very realistic way. Yeah. Where she just yeah. wants what's best for this guy without really yeah. knowing what he's all about. Him? Yeah. Yeah. And and especially like and without anticipating the ramifications of what she's planning of to what do, she's gonna what do. she wants yeah. to do. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Because like, you know, like she for all intents and purposes, this is the first mortal she's ever met. So yeah. she really has no real sense of what their nature is like apart from what Prometheus has told mm-hmm. her. And for her thinking like, okay, at least if I turn him into a god, that's going to just solve the problem of his mortality. Right? I'll have time to make him love me or something yeah. like that. <laughs> Essentially. To know him. Yeah. yeah. And to know him also. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So she ends up giving him like sort of the sap from that flower. Um and he basically turns into a god, uh, you know, yeah. which is like cool. Like he's having a great time. He's like, "Whoa, this is amazing!" Like I finally feel like he's I've having too much. Level. He, <laughs> yeah, literally, and, he and gets like, more and, male. And like, okay, yeah, wait, yeah. Like speaking of him becoming more male, like literally, nobody is like pissed off about this happening. Yeah. Like, like within it's a page of crazy. him becoming a god, like he gets given his own palace and then he's like introduced to Poseidon. His like, own palace it's like, under the water. It's literally like he basically uh got a job in a high paying company as a janitor and then the next day he was told, Yeah, we're gonna move you up to the executive. Like, we're gonna make you it's the Hudson. Yeah, yeah, posse. literally. <laughs> so so it I was, was like, so crazy. Yeah. So it was like, you know, like that that obviously gets to his head and he ends up kind of just like basking in sort of the vanity of being this new god. Um, like, surely, okay, like, on one hand, like, he's be- being a patron to his hometown. Like, he's giving them, like, bountiful, like, harvest fish. 
Um, but at the same time, he's also like... Yes, but also he uh, killed his father. <laughs> wait, wait. Okay, the whole thing there, though, it's like his father was a dick. <laughs> but to be fair, his dad, naman, Loki, yeah. deserved yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, he's saying, like, Loki my, deserved my it. father, like, But then, that was also an interesting point, fish. because when when Cersei finds out about that, she's like, gulat. Like, she was like, oh, you would kill a mortal? Right. And... And literally, he's like, uh, that mortal? Yes. <laughs> and that's like, part of her whole innocence. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Also. It's like, like, you don't know. <laughs> yeah, like, he literally was like, um... And, and it's really emphasized by how li- how when he became a god, the first thing he was he noticed was like, I'm never gonna have bruises again. Right. Like, that kind of shit. And you're kind of like, oh, god. Uh, okay, yeah. Yeah. So This, this gets traumatized. But also, he's a dick. Yeah, and, and like it gets to his head to the point that he starts getting noticed, or he starts noticing rather this other nymph uh, named Scylla. Yeah, here, here we go. And and like like eventually, like that escalates to the point where he's like, How are yeah, we pronouncing I, it? Sorry, are we I, doing Scylla? I'm going to go with Scylla. <laughs> or I don't want to say Skyla. That feels... Okay. Like that doesn't right. feel correct. Okay, I'll go with whatever. I, I think it's Scylla. Skyla. It's no, I'm, I'm not sure if it's Scylla either, because otherwise it would just be S Y, but then it's S C. Okay. So anyway, Scylla. Wh- I'm a, I was that's okay. True. Anyway, for all of you who have read any kind of like Greek mythology at all, you know who I'm talking about. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, like Cersei gets jealous of Scylla because Scylla is now betrothed to like Glaucus, like in, in like a in a in the blink yeah. of an eye, and she's like, oh, I hate Scylla. Scylla just like. She's just like concerned about her looks. She only she doesn't have like a true yeah. good nature, not like me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's like, it's like on my own. She's like singing on my own, but angrily. She's, yeah, and she's literally like, I'm not like other nymphs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's so, her. This entire section. So, so she she decides like, well, you know, I, what I did once, I can do again. And she like gets more of the yeah. sap from the the flowers of the Titan blood. Yep. I, I mean, and like, okay, it's called, it's called Pharmakeia. <laughs> it's so funny yeah, that I called it, like, great. by its long name. And then, like, um, she basically sprinkles it into the, into, like, sort of the the grove where uh, Scylla takes a bath. And it turns her into, like, this hideous six-headed monster uh, that smells yep. horrible. And it's, it's basically the most yep. foul creature you've ever seen. And... Like you know, it's a, it's a very upsetting. She dives into the ocean. Yeah, she like in despair, and it's a very upsetting away, reaction because like you think like people like the other gods, the other titans would be shocked to hear what happened, but yeah. they end up kind of just like. But they're literally making, not. Yeah, they make they, they gossip about it, and they laugh yeah. over it, and like like Cersei's like sort of sitting there thinking like, oh shit, like maybe I should claim responsibility because I just realized what I've done. Yeah. Like, Glaucus really No, and her. she, that's where she feels for Prometheus. Like, he's like, oh, I get it. Yeah. I mean, she's like, and then, and then she can, that's also one of the reasons why she considers like, what do you call that? Um, turning herself in, essentially, because yeah. she's like, it's the noble thing to do. Yeah, and and the worst part is that when she does co- sort of turn herself in, that kind of gets undermined no her? right away. Yeah, like she's like, "I'm sorry, I did it," and everyone's like, "No, you didn't." What the no, fuck? you didn't. Like, like how could you? Yeah, do and this? they kind of like try to show like whatever you think you yeah. did, we told you. Essentially oh, sorry. To okay, do wait. It. We should mention also that 
at by the time that she is admitting all this, um, her siblings are all gone. Oh, okay. Wait, now I was gonna get that. that bit. I was gonna get to that in a bit. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Like, so the, the thing is, like, yeah, like so, so, like, sort of, she, um, she kind of like feels like the sense of defiance, like even her like sort of wrongdoings, even her sins aren't really hers. And so she has yeah. this moment where she kind of talks back to her dad and she says, yeah. like, no, you're wrong. Like, I totally did this. And like, yeah. Helios... He literally like, sucks he, up. Yeah, the... he like blows up, literally. And like nearly yeah. half... He basically half incinerates her. Half... And it's this very yeah. like traumatic experience for her. Yeah. Uh, and she for once in her life cannot breathe. Yeah, yeah. So... So it's really it's really a difficult thing for her. Um, yeah. Okay, so going at the same time, so this is the thing that we forgot to mention, is that um, at the same time, the the yeah the situation is that she is kind of also like away from the I guess like the company of eighties and mm-hmm. even like the the sort of bad manners of her other siblings because they've all been sent away yes. to kind of be married off into different kingdoms or to lead different yeah, kingdoms. Or to start kingdoms. Yeah. So like um yeah. like 80s he gets sent off to this far off kingdom. I'm not sure if it's Colchis. Colchis? Yeah, Colchis. Right? Colchis. And then Colchis. um Pacife, she gets married off to the king of Crete, King Minos, who mm-hmm. again very Ooh. famous figure in Greek yep. mythology. You, you will, would know. You would know if you know. Yeah. Know. If you know, you know. Yeah. And then, Actually, you know what? Can I just say, mm-hmm. this book is very, if you know, you know. Yeah, yeah. Compared to, compared to um, Song of Achilles, even when I was first reading this, yeah. it was really just like, oh my gosh, is this how it's going down? This is how it's Right, gonna... right, right. I'll get it up later. Anyway, but yeah. And then like Percy gets sent off Sorry, Perseus gets sent off. Perseus goes to Persia. Yeah, he's like... He, he and like, his reason, yeah. his reason, pa, was their name sounds like mine. <laughs> yeah. I hate men. I hate men. Yeah, no, but like, like they kind of just go off and she's kind of like left there and like she's reckoning with that. Um, the thing though, the thing though, is that um, eventually, 80s does come back. And he's like, I finally figured out this whole thing about our divinity. Uh, and the thing that he, the truth he basically reveals to all the Titans is that the four children, Circe, Aetes, Pasiphae, and Perses, are all capable of manipulating the flowers of the Titan blood, the Pharmacaea, in such a way yeah. that it will g- basically give them the advantage to fight back the gods. And this is like, uh, like spark some kind of tension, which got me really excited because it sort of implied like, yeah, oh, okay, same. so for once there's like now this acknowledgement that something can be more powerful for than a god, and it gives like them, them, yeah, yeah, and it gives Cersei like this momentary like burst of confidence, like almost like fearful confidence, like, well, what am I really if like even the Titans yeah. are like discussing how I could be used as a weapon? And I was like, oh, this could be yeah. like an interesting like direction that the story could go. But like for what it's worth, like Helios decides, no, this isn't tenable. We're going to have to protect the peace. And so he goes to Zeus and he basically confesses the whole thing to him. And they make yeah. this agreement like, okay, well, all the, your other kids are in far off kingdoms. So we don't have to really worry about them. But the one who is kind of with you, we have to do That's something about her. 
And what they decide yeah. is they decide to send Cersei off to this deserted island to live off a life in exile. For what? It, literally, the crime is just who she is. She hasn't really Existing, done anything. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, not, yeah, it's not even for what the thing, the mean, thing she's done for Scylla or Glaucus or anything. It's yeah. literally just because they know that Zeus will see her as a threat. So they kind of want to yeah, like so neuter they, her power to prove that they are loyal to the gods, which is, again, very sad. Yeah. Very frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she gets sent to uh, this island called Aya. Uh, sorry. It's Aya? <laughs> this is very... Okay. So, this is a struggle, guys. The name of the island is... It's spelled... Is it not A-I-A-I-A. So there are two Yas. Aya. When I was trying to read the the name of the island at first, I kept thinking, this is a Filipino reference, so sorry, non-Filipino listeners. Um, Of the Ayala ad. Do you remember the Ayala ad they would play sometimes in cinemas? And it would go, Aya! 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 I hate you! So whenever whenever I read the name out in the book, I would think, uh, I was cast yeah. off to the island of Aya. <laughs> okay, stop it. So, so <laughs> I was, um, okay, in terms of Filipino references, though, she does at one point reference Aegis. <laughs> There's one point in the book where she does say Aegis. No, but or wait. Aegis, however you say it, and I literally was like, "All right." No, that's like that's too many layers. That's too many layers. It's so. I know, but for all the Filipinos out there, okay, if you know, you know. Yeah. Um, so the thing is like she quickly like sort of adapts to her circumstances and I think that speaks a lot to you know even though Cersei is not necessarily I wouldn't say she's necessarily cunning she is sort of resilient in the way that she like she doesn't like submit herself to her circumstances so quickly like she doesn't think I'm gonna just like live out here and sit around here and be sad here like she decides like you know maybe i will go into that forest today yeah maybe i will find out what flowers are there what roots are there and she goes through that as i mentioned before that really like long systematic process of getting to know Mm -hmm. the island a whole chapter's worth yeah and figuring out like what's sort of there uh Mm -hmm. and it's at the same time that she starts that affair with hermes as we previously mentioned he just shows up on her island and you know they start getting it on uh, yeah. and, and it's That's like it's a lot. very different relationship from what she had with Glaucus because like mm-hmm. because she, uh, this dude she, actually liked her question yeah, yeah, yeah not not only that she she clearly has no respect for Hermes like it, it like oh that continuously yeah, yeah. declines until like she's like literally telling like, him done I'm with done him. with you <laughs> yeah 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 so like their that their relationship doesn't really go that far and like mm-hmm. it, it's sort of funny because like there are things where, like, Hermes will try to, like, amuse her with his higher div- divinity. But, mm-hmm. like, you can tell it doesn't really have an effect on Cersei the way he would have probably expected it to happen. Like, okay, there's this one part where, like, it it sort of irked me because of how, like... Yabang yeah, he is? Inert. Yeah, he's, like, very proud, but it, it was a very inert brag where he was saying, like, you know, I heard this... uh prophecy about you oh okay and, That's yeah true. you remember yeah, yeah. okay okay and she was like yeah okay what's the prophecy then what was it so uh wait i wanna this is funny do you want to say it okay go yeah i'm saying the, wait sorry, sorry. Yeah. so she's like so the prophecy is that uh years from now 
you're going to be on this island. And uh, this boat's going to come by. And that boat. And a dude's going to be on it. Yeah, dude's going to come out. His name's Odysseus. And he's going to jump out of the boat. And he's going to come to this island. And then Cersei's like, all right. And, and then she what? was like, okay. And Yeah. And then he was like, well, that's pretty much it. <laughs> She's like, that's the yeah, worst prophecy. Yeah, and she was like, that's the worst yeah this is the worst prophecy ever and and everyone said yeah we agree yeah <laughs> yeah like the prophecy yeah, is like right. basically anything i almost like felt like i know that that's actually in the text of the original odyssey almost but then yeah that is in the text of the original oh, odyssey is it? but then i i almost felt like she could have clearly skipped out on this like we know yeah. we know it's building up towards that like you you yeah you, yeah so um it's like it's just her being like, look how yeah. cute and annoying these two can right. be. Yeah. So the, the thing that breaks this sort of cyclical pattern of her life on Aya, Aya, Aya uh, is that um, this other boat does arrive. It's not bearing Odysseus, but it is bearing this other oh. man who seems like very well built and like sort of wise looking. And it turns out to be Daedalus whom she had mm. met or seen her years earlier um, at the wedding of Pasiphae at the wedding to of, yeah. King Minos. Minos. And as it turns out, Pasiphae is pregnant with child and she has summoned uh, Circe to help deliver the baby. And like, there are all these things that are sort of shrouded in mystery because like, Pasiphae has already asked permission for her exile to be temporarily lifted so that Cersei could yeah. come to... For Cersei's exile. Yeah, so, Cersei's exile, so that she can come to deliver the baby. Um, yeah. But but Pasiphae won't let Daedalus tell her what's wrong with the baby. What's wrong with the baby. Yeah. And also, she specifically mentions that to get to her, they have to pass where Scylla is. Yeah. Scylla? Yeah, what Scylla. Are, what did Scylla. we agree on? Sorry. Yeah, on Scylla. Scylla, yeah, Scylla, Scylla, Scylla. So, um, yeah, they pass that. And, and like... Right away, Cersei kind of gets this idea and, uh, oh, okay, she's using this whole, she's arranged this whole thing as a guilt trip for me. Like, the yeah. thing with Scylla is sort of the thing that kind of puts her on that idea because they had mm-hmm. the past there going to Ayaya, uh, which means that sailors died on the way to summon People her, died. right? And, like, yeah. because she had caused Scylla to look that way or to, to turn into that uh, creature, She's essentially like secondhand responsible for the deaths of those sailors. So that yeah. guilt is sort of bearing on her. She's really pissed off with her sister. They get to Crete after several days. And then when they get there, uh, she's brought right away to the chamber where Pasiphae is being like delivering her baby. And mm-hmm. like she can tell right away, like something is hella wrong. They have to do this like a like C-section. Right. It's like really like... Yeah, essentially. Yeah, it's really intense. And it's the most gruesome, yep. intense C-section. Yeah. And they take the baby out and it turns out the baby is a half bull, half man. Mm-hmm. Or as we popularly know him, the Minotaur. She gives as birth to the Minotaur. Yes. And, um, you know, like Cersei is clearly like horrified by all of this. Like, yeah. what the hell is happening? She here? literally was like, "Come on, man! This yeah. is what." And then the whole time, Pacifae still finds like energy in her to shit on Cersei. Yeah, like she's like it's it's sort of like the thing that was. I mean, like okay, it was a bit confusing to me, but it also like doubly so for Cersei, 
where it seemed like Pasifay was reveling in the fact that her child was now this that, monster. Um, yes, because she would be like, get it out of me. And then Cersei would prepare, was like, okay, I'm going to kill it now. And she was like, no, it has to live. And Cersei yeah. was like, what? Okay. Yeah, and then it's like soon after where Cersei like finds out like, Oh, the reason why Pasifay is reveling in it is because she had intended it's to a, like, yeah. like have a half bull, yeah. half child. And that's one of the like greatest twists of this. Like I remember the first time I read this mm-hmm. and it was in this part already. I was like what? Like I literally was like, Okay, yeah, this has to be here, but like what is it gonna like I knew that my line had put it there for a reason, you know? Yeah. And it's not until that part later on, you know, when Cersei has that realization. It's it's really that she did it on purpose, and it's really disturbing in terms of like how even Minos reacts to it. Because Minos' reaction, yes. instead of like being like disgusted by what happens, uh, as as Cersei thought he would, what what ends up happening is he claims the child as his own, and he can't basically let go of Pasiphae because she is sort of this divine connection to him. Yeah. And so no, but he wants to kill it. Yeah. He, he wants, does yeah. want to kill it. So like But he knows he can't. It it's it's this uneasy balance of like, okay, you know, I have to maintain this relationship, but it means that I have to get my hands dirty with things that I really do not like. And in this case yeah. it's having to keep this baby Minotaur. This freaking child. So like Cersei and Daedalus put themselves to the task of devising means to like contain the Minotaur somehow. And at first, like, he builds his cage, but then he eventually, like, envisions... And then the Minotaur breaks the cage. Yeah, and then eventually he envisions, like, what if I just built, like, a giant maze while Cersei is like, okay, I'm going to form, like, this draught that will make him not hungry every three years. Um, but then she also, like, tries to look into the future and see, like, is there a way, like, we can put this creature to rest? And she sees, like, this future vision sees... yes. of Theseus. Okay. So, like, it's all these things where it's, like, she's in a very uncertain place but like she kind of like leaves it feeling very disillusioned about um you know like her sister who like accuses her of being like the same as her she's like cersei i don't yeah okay so they get into this really big fight yeah which is one of my favorite parts of the book because it's there's it's so many layers um but like it's it's basically Cersei goes to confront her because she's like, why the hell am I here if you could have really just done this yourself because you knew that you have your... Because, you know, you have your own powers and then also you did this on purpose. And then you kind of realize even if she's, like, speaking in such horrible, like, terms. Like, she's still insulting Cersei this whole time. But she's also kind of burying her soul and saying all these things about their life their or their quote unquote childhood, and you can or she basically admits that she was suffering the whole time and she was really unhappy, even if Cer- Cersei didn't know it or didn't even see it at all. Right. And Percy was ba- uh, Percy, Pasiphae uh, was basically saying all these things like Aetes has never loved a woman in his life, mm-hmm. um, and she kind of also insinuates that she and per- Percy had to. Or, like, she had to do certain things for Percy or else he would, like, be really for cruel Percy's, to her. Percy's. A Percy, sorry. To, unless... Or he'd be really cruel to her. And then um, she eventually says... Or, like, she likens Cersei to herself. And she says that, you know, they are not like us. And that's what, like, 
gets Cersei annoyed because <laughs> she's like, yeah. okay, I'm, like inside she's like, I'm really sorry that you were feeling like this, but it's not like you tried to be my friend either. And so she tells um, her sister as much, and she's like, I am not like you. And then that's it. They never see each other again after that. Yeah. And and it's really sad because like you really see that like this woman was like suffering her whole life. Right. Like she like her. Bit. Her estimation so, you know, of, of Pasifae like changes, but in a way yes. that also negatively like like changes worsens her affection, uh, her sort of sense of herself. Like like yeah. there's no oh, way okay. that she and I are the same, and yet I can't help but feel like some sense of sympathy yeah. for what she's feeling. Right. Yeah, because yeah. These are the feelings because I felt she... all along. Yes, 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 and um, and it's really sad because like in her mind also like this this like in the chapter after like a chapter or two after where she's thinking about Pasifae again and she's like man I could have had a sister this whole time yeah I could have had a friend and the thing that underlines that like a few chapters later later is, yeah is, is that when she okay. gets back to her island uh mm-hmm. she gets visited by the children of Aetes I'm oh, sorry the, the daughter of Aetes ch- Medea yeah um who turns out to also have like witchcraft powers and like you can already see, like, oh, okay, there's a sense that Cersei already sees a lot of herself in Medea, but Medea is now facing the situation where she and Jason have escaped from Aetes, from Colchis, mm-hmm. and uh, Aetes is now pursuing them, and she mm-hmm. doesn't want to go back to Aetes. And, like, Cersei is, like, appealing to her at this, like, in saying, like, no, you know, I know my brother. He's actually a good guy. Like, if you go to him, he will accept you and he'll take care of you and it'll be fine. And Medea's like, no. Yeah, you don't know. You really don't know him yeah, yeah. at all. And, and like, it's very confusing to her until, like, Medea and Jason escape and an 80 soon yeah. shows up after. And that's when she realizes, whoa, fuck, they weren't kidding. <laughs> whoa. Yeah, like, he is not who I knew. Yeah. Or, like, not who I thought. He's clearly not the affectionate, inquisitive child that Mm -hmm. she had grown up knowing. And, in fact, like, Mm -hmm. she's, like, doubting even if that memory was actually even accurate. Because then you could also see it as him being secretly cunning. Manipulative Yeah, manipulative to her, exactly. Yeah. And, like, kind of, like, preying on her pity. That like uh, uh like emphasizes also her own realization of like how long she's been so quote unquote innocent. Yeah. Because by the time that Medea comes, it should have been like decades since since the Minotaur. Yeah. Yeah. But she probably doesn't feel that you know, right again because of where she is. One one thing sort of to gloss over also from there is that. Um, it's it's in that whole episode on Crete that she also forms a relationship with Daedalus, where oh, hells yeah, it, yeah, it like it, the thing between them is like they they have a brief and you know they have a brief tryst, but then um, <laughs> I thought you were but, a brief encounter. Yeah, I was I was going to say that, but then the whole <laughs> yeah. the, the thing about them is that she I, I don't know if she necessarily falls in love with him. She definitely she's admires definitely him. attracted to him. Yeah, I yeah, there's a, something and she's about definitely it. like. Uh, I, I think she's attracted. She she's ve- attracted to him, but respectfully. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I was gonna say, I think it's also like a whole maternity thing, or like a maternal thing too, because it doesn't solidify until she meets Icarus. Yeah, that she's kind of like yeah, 
So oh she she meets the, the son. Is he like she, a zaddy? Yeah, she meets, she meets, and and then she even says, "I had never thought about children of my own until this moment." Yeah, and and it sort she sort of realizes like, "Whoa, okay, wait." The whole thing about Daedalus has shifted because she hadn't been imagining that he had a son, uh, and yeah. so she was like wondering, "Why are you even staying here in Crete? You can leave literally any time." And it's only when yeah. she sees that Daedalus has this son. And she's like, oh, okay, I kind of get oh, it now. Like right. you're, yeah. you're literally staying you're here. Bound here, yeah, because like if you go, you know, his life is just gonna be like this running life of pursuit that is mm-hmm. not gonna be great. So like, yeah, and and as she does later find out, like the famous myth about Icarus and Daedalus is that they're flying with like wax candle wings, and he flies too close to the sun, and then he falls into the ocean mm-hmm. and dies. So you know, yep. there's that, that whole thing. That whole thing happens. Um, so she has a whole thing on Crete. She goes back home. Uh, Daedalus has gifted her this loom, which is um the very. Is it a, a reference in Odyssey? Yes, it's a very prominent loom. In Odyssey, she uh does her prophecies on that? Did I make that up? I don't know about prophecies. I I just know that oh. she definitely like is using that loom. It, like that that loom features prominently in sort of the iconography surrounding Cersei. Um, she, uh, I think at that point, she sort of realizes that her loyalty is more with man at that point than it is with gods or with titans. Like, she feels like if there's any hope in the world, it must be, uh, with these mortals who probably value life more than the gods do because they're mortal. They only, they, they, she, they only have so much time. No, she, she literally says Tolo. They only yeah, live okay. once. And, what did you say? Okay. I'm and, just like, what is this and, stand and so, for? So, like, for them, like, you know, surely they must value life more. And very yeah. quickly, she's proven wrong because then she's visited mm-hmm. by this one group. Of Medea. Men. No, no. Oh, no. I thought she's. she's I thought you were going to say Medea and Jason because. No, we. No. We, she, when she meets Jason, she's super, like, annoyed already. No, yeah, yeah. I mean, but the part later on where she gets visited by this group of sailors whom she's, like, very happy to host. Oh, yeah. And, like, she thinks, like, okay, if I show my good nature to them, like, they'll respond kindly. And for a while they do until they find out that there is no lord in the house, that she's sort of the master of the house. And that sort of gives them the idea that we should take advantage of her. So the captain basically assaults her. From there, she turns them all into pigs. Yeah, she starts turning them into pigs, and which is the most satisfying scene yeah. ever. And and like it's really like visceral, like she really... no, but it is very difficult to read. Yeah, no, I... no, like I, but I mean, like what I mean is that the scene of the pigs transformation, like she really, oh, is like, gra- Madeline really, yeah, Madeline really goes yeah. to the length of describing how like oh, hell yeah. the sound she, of the bow. Yeah, okay, that's the great part of it. Like she doesn't really say what happens like in terms of the assault but like she practically glosses over that and then is like yeah. and then this is what Cersei does yeah yeah this is yeah. how they transform right 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 yeah because like I like there was a part of me that wasn't even clear like like I had to read it Did a couple he... of times like yes like, I agree I could see that like part, like yeah. oh her skin his skin is pressing against her skin but then he yeah. lets her go. And then, and then, no, and then she says, pa, if I were mortal, I would have passed out. Yeah, yeah. Which is or like... something like that. Yeah, very concerning. Yeah. Um, but then she... Like, Madeline gives it the time to, like, describe the transformation. Um, mm-hmm. Which is something that she then carries out over the next few years. Anytime sailors pass 
through her island or they arrive on her island. She like hosts them for a while and then like tricks them into drinking her wine and then she turns them all into pigs. Um, and that goes on. That keeps going on and on and on and on. Until Indeed. a little old prophecy comes little back prophecy. into the play. Because oh, Odysseus yeah. finally arrives and he's the only one who uh, does not doesn't fall. Doesn't turn into. Yeah, he doesn't fall sort of to the whims of. Well, okay, as we explained before, like he's already taken the Molly route. He's been warned by Hermes. So he kind of knows what's up. And he arrives to Bernadette, Bernadette Peters, early 90s, <laughs> Cersei. <laughs> and, um, I hate this. and she, like, okay, here's the thing. So, like, Let's like take stock of her, her relationship so far. Glaucus, uh, clearly mm-hmm. one sided. She doesn't mm-hmm. she didn't really know who he was. She didn't really know and then what she was. Nothing ever doing. happened. Nothing ever really happened. And yeah, he he probably yeah, he he didn't like her. You know, yeah. like he saw her as a sister. That was what he was saying. Yes. Which is like oh And also dude. they weren't allowed to bone down anyway. Yeah. yeah. Because here Lola said so. So uh, yeah, so there's that. Daedalus, this relationship is like, as we said, sort of like something that's born out of like admiration and respect. Like, how mm-hmm. how could you like live your life like this? It's so sensual. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, like like <laughs> okay, like I mean, like this this cannot go on. But at least for tonight, let it go on. Um, yeah. With Odysseus, it's right away the energy is super different. Be- oh, you did not even mention Hermes, but okay. Oh yeah, I completely like glossed over because I didn't count yeah. him anymore. It's like, <laughs> oh okay. He, to me, he was like a one night stand that happened over he, many nights. He, he's a multiple one. He's our fubu. Yeah, he he's is. He very much is. Very much. He is. actually is. Like so, um, Odysseus. He's super hot in my head, by the way. The thing is, uh, uh okay. Uh, <laughs> um, so Odysseus. The thing about Odysseus that I sort of like registered right away is that. When they're talking for the first time, that scene where like they're kind of like doing all these witty repartees towards each other, and he's very like casual and open to her about yeah. like his thoughts and feelings. So, uh, he's very confident. And his wife. And his wife. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> um, <laughs> like like it sort of like drives this point that what makes the appeal of Cersei and Odysseus as in in their relationship at least in Cersei's mind, is that she can sort of envision them almost as equals. Like, yes. Odysseus doesn't look down on her uh, in any way. And at the same time, like, he kind of, like, counts on her. He respects her as a yeah, basically. goddess, too. Yeah, yeah. I, or not, I, I mean, like, it's sort of different from the respect as a divinity. he would give to her as a divinity. He, like, sort of respects yeah. her as if she's, like, like, his best mate in the war. Like if oh, she's yeah, his Patroclus, true, like true. she's like he's like yeah, ready yeah. to make quips and sort of like throw like a mm-hmm. like a jestful side eye to her, and she's like, "Who is this guy?" Yeah, <laughs> and and that bitch? really endears. And how do I get to bone him? Yeah, that endears her to him so much uh, that she keeps yeah. him around for a year, but at the same mm-hmm. time, she is very conscious already of the fact that he does have a yearning for his home, his life. That he keeps talking about Telemachus. He keeps talking Mm -hmm. about Penelope as being this very steady, loyal star. Um, And, you know, like that's something that I remember uh, Madeline was saying as well, is that for her, Odysseus is really the only 
character that she sees in the Greek epics who really respects women. Women, because, yeah. Like the way, like yeah. she cited this one, and scene. also gays. Yeah, but... <laughs> yeah. Like she cited there is this one scene that happens towards the end of the Odyssey where, when Odysseus comes back home and he's disguised as an old man by Athena, um, Penelope comes out and she's finally like, "Okay, you know what? You guys have been waiting ten years. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna finally consider. My... I'm gonna finally consider marrying one of you. But oh, okay. uh, the catch is, you have to give me even more stuff." And like the way yeah. Madeline was like describing <laughs> yeah. it is that most men would like look at that and say, "Why wow, that she she that the disloyal you know like she like all these scornful things." But like yeah, yeah. the way Odysseus reacts when she, when he hears her say that is he's like, "This son of a bitch! I can't believe yeah. she fucking you know like she like he yeah. thinks like she's just as cunning as I am and." I cannot yeah, wait yeah, yeah. to get out of this old man prosthetic. Old man costume. <laughs> and so I can like totally... Yeah. This old man prosthetic? Is that what you just said? Yeah. I yeah. can't wait to get off my end game, Steve. Yeah. Old man Steve, get up. Yeah. That's, that's what he said. Um, yeah. She basically tells him, okay, here's what's going to happen. You're going to have to... The, the whole thing about having to go to the underworld. You have to see Tiresias. Oh, also another Apollo cameo. Right, right, that's true. Because she receives that prophecy uh, through Apollo. Yeah, so he goes off, and when he comes back, he's like totally dazed, like, oh, Jesus, what did I just yeah, see? Like, like, this like, was I, like the worst thing. I literally I saw, saw literally all my I, friends. Yeah, I saw literally everyone. All my friends. <laughs> yeah, and... And our and our pals, Achilles and Patroclus. Yeah, and... and Ajax, so... Right, and um, what's the thing that happens after that? Uh, and then he leaves again. He, like leaves, he, stay. he leaves again, but then there's another thing. No, she she sort of warns him of the dangers that he's supposed to pass, and all of those are like the main adventures that she then has. He then has to go through in the Odyssey, like the island of the sacred cows of Helios, um, Scylla, oh, yeah. the Sirens. Yeah, so yeah. she like sort of like warns him, like this is what's ahead of you, and yeah, and she tells him how to uh, defeat all of them, basically. Right. And it's like literally after, which is the rest of the Odyssey, right? And it's literally after he re- leaves that it the narrative makes explicit. Oh, by the way, she is pregnant. Like Cersei is totally. Oh yes, 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 yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Which is one of the greatest reveals, in my opinion. Yeah. Because you kind of forget also that she's been taking godly birth control <laughs> ever since she started like uh, boning Hermes. There's a whole. I do remember that even there was a whole scene about her making the birth control right do you remember that and then like <laughs> and then they she never mentions it again until uh until odysseus leaves because she's leaving and then i mean he's leaving and then she mentions something that, that that's like uh and then i didn't take this flower that i haven't been taking since hermes and i was like what like you forget about it like yeah, i also yeah, yeah. i do remember rereading that and being like what the hell is she talking about oh my god it's her pill <laughs> <laughs> cersei really said reproductive rights yeah yep so uh um, anyway so yeah she's she, pregnant she's pregnant and, and like, she has a really violent yeah she, um, she c-sections herself see yeah no oh, i was gonna say even before that like her entire um pregnancy like her going into term is really aggressive yeah 
like she vomits literally every day. She has never been sick in her life. Yeah, and like obviously. sort of the servants who have so been she's... sent there by all these other gods who kind of think that they can send their daughters to her island. They like are all scared, so like they go like, yeah. "Oh shit, what's Be- going on here?" Because they've also never been sick, never... so they're kind of like, "What's going on?" Yeah, but um, eventually she does a C-section on herself, and the baby's born alive, mm-hmm. and she names the child Telegonus. Um, and the thing about him is that he's like a very uh difficult infant to raise, but yeah, all he does is yell. Yeah, but then she like also realizes like, no, I'm I'm now so in love with this child, like. Like yeah. it's one of those things like you hear a lot from like people who become women who become mothers, mothers. That, that it's sort of instantaneous for them that when they see their child for the first time or there there's a moment early on with their child where they're looking at them yeah. and they realize like and they're like oh this is the greatest person yeah yeah I've ever met in my life yeah and and that is immediately threatened by um athena. athena because she finds out like there are all these like suddenly these animals who are coming to like basically almost hurt the child and she has to protect mm-hmm. the child um and she finds out that athena is at the root of it all she like mm-hmm. wonders from athena like what are you doing like why are you trying to kill my son and like athena's very vague about it but she's like no, you're going to regret it when you get older. Like, whatever happens, you must not let this child live. And, like, she even, like, goes to the length of saying, like, look, here's the deal. If you let me kill Telegonus, if you let me kill your baby boy, I will yeah. send your, another your sweet man. baby boy. I'll send another man to this island. You can have as and many And then you can have another boy. baby. And, yeah. Yeah, so she's, like, very uncompromising. She's like, hell no. Like, I'll keep the She's baby. like, that's disgusting. Yeah. No. I want this child. And, like, it brings her to this point of cautiousness where she says, like, okay, here's what I gotta do. I now have to cast all these spells over this island because mm-hmm. Athena knows by the fate's prophecy that she cannot kill Telegonus herself, so she must employ other means to kill Telegonus, which for Cersei is, like, convenient because then she can cast all the spells that she wants. And she has, like, two yeah. very important strong spells that she casts in particular that protect the island from Athena the whole time through. Mm-hmm. So um, time passes. She's continuing to protect uh, Telegonus from Athena. And eventually, like from being a difficult child, Telegonus turns into, again, this sort of inquisitive, but um, like sort of more manageable child. And eventually when he turns 16, um, she's like, okay, now is the time you find out about your father. Uh, yeah, and he's like, oh, okay, so when can I meet him? And she's like very reluctant about that because she knows that obviously Odysseus didn't know that she was pregnant, and mm-hmm. the one thing Odysseus wanted in life was to be reunited with his family. So if ever he had to go, and Telegonus had to go and see Odysseus, Odysseus would then Telegonus would then have to deal with the reality of the fact that he's basically a bastard son. Yeah, um, but she decides like no you know okay he's basically going to be a man and i think like like sort of she like finds a way to reason around it like the best plan that i can plan is is planning around what he wants also so she says okay you can go but i'm gonna set these conditions you have to wait a few days um you have to treat um odysseus family with the utmost respect then the the last condition that she poses is something that she kind of has to do herself where she basically goes into the deep ocean and she finds this creature named Trigon, who's basically a giant stingray. And she yes. bargains with Trigon 
to He's like get... the god of the bottom of the ocean, right? I, I feel like he's just like basically the dad of the stingray from Finding Nemo. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. He's the god of the ocean. Like that's Poseidon. Isn't he? He's Poseidon. That's Poseidon. Wouldn't it not, be? No, not of the ocean, but like of like the bottom of the ocean. Would that... Oh my god, that was my understanding. Anyway, possibly. whatever. Anyway, so great. Trigon... So. so she gets the tail from Trigon. And like, it's one of those things where like Trigon makes this bargain with her. Like, you know, if you get it, you're going to have to experience eternal pain all your life. And she's like, fine, mm-hmm. I'm willing to do it. It's like, fine, you have to battle me for it. She's like, fine, I'm willing to do it. And like, yeah. it's only... Like all these things. And it's only like when she's like, when he sees her reach out for him, the Trigon realizes, oh shit, she's serious. She's like, okay, you can yeah. have the tail. And like he warns her, like, just give it back. Like, here's the thing: if you if you touch the poison on the tail, like for you as an immortal, like you're gonna be, you won't die, but it's gonna hurt a lot. Now, yeah. if, but if you're immortal, if you touch this instantly, you will die. So she's like, yeah. okay, cool. Not like that's gonna matter to me anyway. But she like cautions like the Legonus about it, and he goes and he sets off and he gets goes to Ithaca. And literally in the next chapter, he comes back and he's like, yeah, shit got fucked up. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. He's like, hey, mom, it's me. So, um. <laughs> so what the Legoness basically reports is like, so here's what happened is that when I got off the boat, um, uh, dad saw me and like, mm-hmm. I was like really happy to see him, but he was not so happy to see me. And then he just like started running at me. And I got scared because he did that thing where, you know, when you put your hands out to kill a person and I, yeah. I kind of sidestepped him. <laughs> he got my spear and he accidentally and touched, he touched the it. tip. He touched the tip. Yeah. He and touched the tip. Just the tip. Yeah. He and, did touch just the tip. And, and, and he, he died. died. And that's not all. Yeah. I brought his wife and his son along with me. So they're yeah. here, right? And then they're like, hey. So, Actually, the, all this whole time that you've been describing it this way, I did just imagine it like a sitcom, and it's <laughs> hilarious. I I actually kind of would like okay, like in in the same vein. So I I mentioned this in the previous episode, but didn't really talk about it. That I've been playing Hades, which is a very very fresh, very interesting reinvention also of Greek mythology. Um, and I I almost kind of wish like I yearn for other like sort of fresh reinventions in this manner and that could be easily one of them is the sitcom where it's like um (laughs) like it's like two women two sons one dad but he's dead (laughs) all (laughs) right saturday on abc (laughs) but one dad but he's dead (laughs) one dead dad (laughs) anyway all right it's it's or, or, or okay dead dead but the two dead no two two sons one one dad i don't know (laughs) we're trying so hard we should mention we're recording this at like 1 30 in the morning guys okay is it oh it's 1 30 explain anything so uh one dead dad i feel Um, crazy okay so they're they're basically um spending time together (laughs) it really (laughs) sounds like a sitcom but like it, it's one of these. It's like the spirit, the spirit of revelation. Where, okay, Cersei senses that something's up. Penelope, the wife of Odysseus, has brought herself and Telemachus here for a reason, but she's not being clear about it. At the same time, right. she like starts asking Penelope. So like, you know how how was he? You know, I 
I really miss them. Like, what you do? And, and like, <laughs> yeah. And like, yeah, she asked, like, how was like, he? How was he? What was he like? And like, Telemachus and Penelope are like, yeah, he he got he got he got pretty shitty at the end. You know, he yeah. he's not a cool guy. Like he would, yeah. he would always like kind of boast about how he wanted to kill everyone. Like what yeah. you're saying is not directly contradicting my experience of the man that we love. My experience with but him, but it's also yeah, making yeah. me realize that he was like quite a dick. He was <laughs> so traumatized, yeah. And like in a funny way, that kind of rubs off on her again, because if she saw him as an equal, then that means I, I really have just been a dick this whole time too. Yeah, this whole time, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. But then eventually she manages to get the truth out of Penelope that, well, okay, uh, Odysseus had a very close relationship with Athena. And now that Odysseus is dead, um, Athena is now seeking an heir to um, accept the patronage that um, Athena was giving to Odysseus. And so Mm -hmm. now, because Telemachus was supposedly the heir of Ithaca, it has to go to him. Uh, and, And Penelope is basically buying time so that she can stay with Telemachus as long as she can, because she knows that neither of them want to do this. Neither of them want to go where Athena wants to go or do what she wants with Telemachus. Um, right. And eventually, like she kind of holds that off long as long as she can, to the point where, like, eventually, like she does have to tell him because, like, um. Hermes, Hermes shows up and says, I have a message coming from it's, Athena. Yeah. And like, that's basically what kind of like causes all the, the whole thing to unravel. And Penelope like kind of makes amends with Telemachus and says, okay, here's what's up. Yeah. And um, Circe tells Hermes like, okay, I'm willing to let down the barriers on the island so that Athena can come here. Um, but give me time. And she's using that to kind of like get her, she, like yeah. she's playing her cards basically. She knows that she has some leverage against Athena. Now, the thing that happens, though, is that the sec- the very second that she takes down the barrier, she realizes, oh, shit, of course, this is literally Athena's plan all along. The minute that the barrier comes down, she can kind of just come down come down anytime she wants. And she does. Mm-hmm. So um, Cersei literally rushes back to her home where she finds, like, Athena in, like, full battle armor. The whole thing yeah. is that she wants to claim Telemachus as her champion so that he can conquer the kingdom that Aeneas, the only survivor from Troy, has set up in what will then become Rome. Become Rome, yeah. Yeah, and uh, the idea is that Telemachus doesn't want it. Um, yeah, because he's like, I saw what that did to my dad. Yeah, and so and she, I, I don't want that. She declines it. He declines it, and like literally, the point. Athena's like, wait, are you serious? You're gonna lose like my patronage. And, like, yeah. Telemachus is like, yeah, dude, I guess that's how it's going to have to be. Um, and she's like, fine. And also, that's weird that she said that because it's not like they had it for a while anyway. Wait, what do you mean? Like, I mean, because she wasn't really taking care of Odysseus. Well, no, 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 no. Um, so why no, would... See, no, see, see Athena. But was she? Yeah. No, yeah, Athena is legit, like, um, Odysseus is, like, god. Like, her main god. Like the reason- No, yeah, no, I know. But then, like, when, in the time that she was not protecting him, was she still protecting his family? Yes. Like, to the point that literally... That's what I mean. Yeah, like, the Odyssey starts with Athena... Oh, okay, and then never mind. I take back to what I just said. Telemachus and saying, like, okay, here's how you find your dad. 
So she's like really the family oh, okay. patron guy. Okay, okay, okay. And then um Yeah, yeah. He, and like so Telemachus sort of declines and she's like, Fine, you'll you'll never get help from me again. And then, and she yeah. sort of turns around yeah. and she sees Telegonus, she's like, Well, what about you? I'll give you a chance. Do you wanna do this whole thing? And the thing about Telegonus is he actually really wants to do it. Like he yeah. some part of Oops. him has that aspect of Odysseus that is yearning for adventure, yearning for the horizon. Mm-hmm. And it's not like Cer- Cersei, like kind of her-, her rationale for it is like, look, he's the one who can now make his own decisions in the same way that Telemachus is allowed to make his decision and say, no, I have to kind mm-hmm. of give Telegonus the option to say yes. And this is sort of the part that really moved me because yeah, like, like the whole arc of the novel then becomes like, this is the story of uh, a person who, when she was young, people made decisions. Wanted everyone. Pe- people to... made people made decisions that affected her directly or indirectly, uh, and she had no say in them. And all she could feel was like scorn and disgust for the world. And now here's the one person mm-hmm. that she loves the most in her life, making a decision that she allows herself to have no say in over. And even if he makes the decision that will hurt her the most that's the decision that she has to come to accept and like like yeah. that was the one like that yeah. was the moment for me where like the whole book like really kind of clicked into place it's like whoa like she like you see this uh story of this person who has now like reclaimed herself by process of growth yeah and like it it, it suddenly made yeah. sense for why the book had to take as long as it did or had to go through like the pace that it went through which is always sort of my gripe with books that have somewhat a somewhat slow pace is that Mm -hmm. you know they do go through a lot of thoughts and feelings and interiority and experiences but at the end they don't really round it out but no no the opposite is that uh, a lot of them like especially the best ones like really pay off and this is one good example yeah okay i felt like at the end of it it's like Oh, thank God I stuck through because yeah. like I now have this like intensely moving moment where she decides yeah. to like let her son go, even though she's been like literally protecting him from the moment he was born. Uh and and it just goes to yeah. show how much things have changed for her and how much time has changed for her that she's able to make that decision and I mean like at least come to a situation of peace with it where she's able to manipulate the circumstances enough that she can do something about it. Because after Telegonus leaves, I, okay, I will say I also don't cry a lot in books, but I almost I very nearly. Oh, did you cry? No, no, I, did I, you? I, I very. I was like, I was like, is this oh. it? Is this the moment? I I very felt my. I very nearly felt myself on the verge of tears when um, oh. she hugged him for the last time, and it was one of those things yeah, where yeah. she like kind of described it as sort no, of like that was such a good... like kind of like. Uh, not wanting to like squeeze him so tightly or so hard, but it felt like like becoming one with him almost. Like I, just, I, I yeah, I'm not yeah. I'm not getting the quote right, but like that's what the the idea of that image felt like. And I was like, shit, yeah. this is too good. <laughs> yeah, this book is no, I I so super feel you. I really also remember reading this for the fir- first time before. And being like, wow, yeah, this is like because you really feel the thousand years, you know. It's and it's not the decision that comes out of power or like vengeance, yeah, or spite, but really like, out or of, like, like it's not like she knew also what would happen. 
Yeah, but like out of right? like it's this not like she very, knew that that would be wrong. It's, it's a decision that comes out of this very total acceptance of this other person. Yeah. Like saying like I Absolutely. I won't I I won't necessarily agree with what you're about to do here, but yeah. I know that if you do it, you will have it in you to like get what you want out of it basically. Yeah. So there was a exactly. lot of there was a lot about it that was really moving to me. Um Yeah. And like from then on it just keeps like continuously escalating because then you have this whole like sort of end game sequence where she decides like yeah. Okay, you know what? I, like it's like what I told Trigon. Like I'm sick of this world, and then he basically, mm-hmm. she basically remembers what he had told her, what Trigon had told her. Like, look, if you're sick of this world, then you can change it, mm-hmm. and that kind of gives her an idea. So she sets off on this one last quest where the first thing she does is she asks Helios to lift off her exile, and like she makes this yeah. very stern demand. Like, look. um, the only the most that you can do for me is to lift my exile because I'm your daughter, and like yeah. like he basically is like very reluctant about like giving into that, and he like even threatens her like, well you know you if if you if you get yeah out of this exile like you better not like screw shit up for me because she's like, like start I'm, shit because I'm, I'm gonna disown you and she's like disown me already and she's like, then yes, yeah then or she's gonna like disown me you never. <laughs> Care. Yeah, yeah. So, like, What's like, the like that's st- stage one. Then stage two is she mm-hmm. then goes off to find. Uh, she goes off on sailing with Telemachus, with whom she like develops mm-hmm. a relationship. Which I'm like, you know, like I was yeah. like mentioning. Okay, which was one of the greatest twists, like I, I of like this whole thing. I mean, like I'd seen that they were gonna get together. Uh, like in the old yeah canon. yeah yeah you but, see it but then but then like sort of the way that they come together I'm like dude he's so much younger than you <laughs> yeah I mean yeah I mean, yeah okay. and then it makes you think back to that time when when she had just met Glaucus and she accidentally and she was like uh yeah you know I met Prometheus and he was like what how is that possible because you're my age i mean and she's like no i'm not like, i didn't think, and he gets freaked out i didn't think so much of the time that <laughs> she met glaucus as i thought of the time that you know she met odysseus his dad oh yeah his father yeah oh <laughs> right so, she so, and also she boned him very so. surprising thing to happen but um yeah so basically and like he accompanies her on a journey where uh, she's on her way back to the old island where the pharmacia flowers are growing. Uh, on mm-hmm. the way, she decides, I'm going to finish what I started. She basically is able to kill Scylla. They pass her for the last time and she kills Scylla. Um, mm-hmm. They get the flowers. They come back to the island, Aya. And um, Penelope is like forming now her own penchant for witchcraft. And it's it's one of those right. things where yeah. it's like, oh, Which I, is also I, great. It's like, I never realized it. But it was sort of planted there all along, because like I, I okay to be honest, like when we earlier mentioned um, Cersei's loom, I didn't mm-hmm. really know her loom. I didn't really remember that part of the iconography so well. The one I remembered was that Penelope had a loom because that was the one that she used to like make the suitors believe oh, that. She oh, was, that's like, right. Right. Maybe that's what I was thinking of. So the thing is, like I, yeah. I like it sort of made me realize like, oh, they have planted it here that Penelope basically can 
get a lot out of this relationship, this friendship yeah. with Cersei. And it's to the point where Cersei sees, like, you really have a natural knack for this thing. Um, what if I let you become the witch of Aya? And, like, Penelope yeah. is like, yeah, shit, I'll do it. <laughs> like, you, you can see, like, this is a new life for her. And it's, like, genuinely exciting. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm so pumped for this. Uh, and, like... I know, me too. I was like, don't you want to read that, though? What did you want right. to see what she, like... yeah. What she learns too. Maybe that's like like the sequel, the spin-off sequel. Um, I know the spin-off, but like the whole the miniseries. The whole time, the the nature of what Cersei is planning is kind of made somewhat ambiguous. I I I, I kind of had to like let let it off for a while because like I, I had a sense of what the plan was going to be, and it's. By the right. time you get to the end of the book, she doesn't really even say what the plan is explicitly, but you the book expects you to know by then. Um, mm-hmm. Or like the more the the more the closer she is to doing the thing, yeah, it should be like you should have already figured yeah, it out. You, also, yeah, definitely. And like I think when I figured it out, I was like, oh, this book just yeah. went from good to great for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like holy shit. <laughs> Um, this is like so basically what yeah. happens is that um you have this whole last chapter which i think is a really excellent stellar ending Amazing. chapter for the book because um she, it's just the two of them right just it's, the it's just the two of them but then she basically has this dream of the future and it's a future in which she and telemachus have kids but it's it's also a future in which the consequences that she had feared become in, inconsequential because then she and Telemachus right. are able to sail around the world as they had dreamed. And they're able to sail to Italy and they meet again Telegonus. And Telegonus gets to meet the daughters of Circe and Telemachus. So it's like this very, like, I, I thought immediately of the one of the ending scenes of the ending scene of um, Phantom Thread, where a very similar thing happens. Right. Uh, she fantasizes the future with Daniel Day Lewis. And it's like this very dreamlike, mm-hmm. feverish, like, we're going to go through the, mundane, the de- mundanities of life, but we'll also end up doing all the things that we want to do. And the way the book ends is that she puts a potion to her lips and she drinks. And the assumption, and then I mean, like, Im- we might as well say what it is. Like, she's, yeah, she's mortal. Yeah, and she makes herself mortal. Um, because, yeah. like, for her, like... Which, wow. Like, what, what was it? She said something like... The thing about being a god is that when you're a god, it's worse than never dying, or it's worse than dying, because yeah, you well, never change. It's worse than dying because yeah, you never change, yeah. you never grow, and like it's it's yeah. it's that whole sense of why the idea of immortality is so scary, and like again, that mm-hmm. blew my mind because then it added this whole other layer to the book, which is that this book has also just been like an indictment of that kind of godly privilege why to like live your life oh okay we were thinking different things <laughs> yeah no i was like for me it's like yeah again like all these things that you'd want for yourself that you think are status symbols or material symbols they yeah. will not They're really not mean really... anything in the end they're just vanity mm-hmm. so yeah like for that for her that's a faith worse than death which i was like yeah. hell yeah and you might as well like become mortal and live the rest of your life with the one person who sees you as you know what you are and accepts you and does that thing that you were just talking about 
where like she totally accepts her son and lets him go. At the end, she has Telemachus who accepts her for who she is. Yeah. And uh, would be happy to also spend, I guess, his days with her. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. It's the thing also, like, there are so many things about it that feel like allusions as well to... Mm-hmm. Okay, like, I'm, like, like the more I think about it... Humanity? I was going to say allusions to, like, Lord of the Rings. Or, like, okay. sort of, like, parallels yeah. between it. Because, like, you have okay. this thing... So, like, I was thinking about when I was reading a book, which is, like, it's this whole thing about the the argument about humans and mortals, um, where, like, right. in Lord of the Rings, like, humans are seen as the weakest race. In fact, they're so weak, they literally um, got fooled by, like, Sauron into <laughs> accepting rings, yeah. right? And then... Yeah, so sure. but yeah then, Sauron, like, I know. But, like, the implication of, the, of Lord of the Rings is that men will be the last race to live in Middle-earth, so they're going to be the ones who ultimately have to take care of it. Um, and like the book start, uh, like Lord of the Rings starts out on this idea that that should strike you as sad. But then by the end, yeah. it should strike you as hopeful that men are going to be the ones left behind to take care of Middle Earth. Yeah. Now that yeah, I think yeah. about it again, this is also like basically what That's happens. That's like that also, right? I was going to say like also yeah. the Aragorn Arwen thing where like if Arwen oh. stays with Aragorn, she's not going to be an elf anymore. Or like yeah. she's gonna oh, lose like her elf aura, right? Right. Yeah. So or like, her elf head, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, oh. illusions. As as yeah, Robert Pattinson would say, if he were a lit teacher, <laughs> illusions. Okay. <laughs> All right. And that's Cersei. Um, and that's Cersei. That's Marlon Miller. Yeah. Okay. As you can tell, obviously, as I, I said, it. I really love this book. I love it way more than Song of yeah, Achilles. Like I do too. I, I, I quite like Song of Achilles. Yeah, but, yeah I do too. But um, the thing about this book is that it really it went somewhere else for me that I feel like mm-hmm. I'm going to carry with me for a while. Uh, and mm-hmm. that's not oh, something I, like I expected. That. I'm so happy for you. That's not something I expected from this book because mm-hmm. uh, I, 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 I always feel like retellings have such a difficult task upon them because they're treading ideas that have already been you know tread upon but then at the same time for like so long yeah but then at the same time that's the whole uh appeal of the homeric epics is that those were stories that people had yeah which is what we said last time yeah and yet yeah like it was the telling as leon said it was the Mm -hmm. way that it was told that people remembered and thought like this is particularly Mm -hmm. excellent and i think that's true at least and then also (laughs) yeah sorry go ahead i was just gonna say and also like what we were saying before is that because it's been so long and also because it's recorded in such a specific way there's um a such a large flexibility to it yeah that madeline 100 percent took advantage of more so here than she did in song of achilles i think um yeah yeah, yeah. definitely and i think i think she was able to play that advantage like sorry she was able to play that that obscurity of Cersei as a character to her advantage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Like, like I, I mean, like That's I was like meant. looking it up afterwards, and like I realized, like, oh, actually, there's hardly anything. No, not not no. Well, there there are things, but like they're they're very they're Small. even more obscure. Like apparently, yeah. Cersei, Cersei, and Odysseus had more kids. So like, oh, like, I didn't even know and that. Like, and like all three yeah. of them go to Rome. So like for me it was like oh. Oh, okay there there is an aspect of this that is known but she 
was counting on me not to know that Odysseus yeah. and Cersei have kids so that she could yeah. introduce and like invest time into this one relationship that she has yeah, with yeah. presumably one kid. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So Yeah, I was gonna say also that um I th- I really distinctly remember that the first time I read it, I was like, I mean, obviously now reading it a second time, and after all the things that you said, I was like, oh yeah, this, that, that's what it's about, you know, it's about like all um, everything you just said. Sorry, I'm like, the time of night isn't like getting to me now. What I wanted to say is that the first time I read it, I was like, oh, this book is basically about uh, men and shit. Yeah, and. <laughs> And that was really great. Um, But, you know, reading it a second time was super joyful. And um, it makes me sad that this didn't really get that much attention compared to Song of Achilles. Right. Like, would you you attribute that to... Because, like, okay, we were saying, like, as we said several times already, like, you know, with with Song of Achilles, like, a big part of that was, like, coming out of fandom culture and uh sites like Tumblr. But, like, yeah. Like 2017, by 2017, 2018, like those yeah, we had, had migrated of, outwards. Yeah. Like they weren't as popular anymore on like mm-hmm. Tumblr at least as a platform. Or if or if it was, I did not see it at all. Yeah. And I didn't I hardly saw it on Twitter. Like I felt too. like I felt like for so, you, for you it was more like you had kind of stuck on as it were, the I had brand just waited name. for her. Yeah, like the brand yeah. name of Madeline Miller is like I anything did, yeah, she puts yeah, out, absolutely. you'll pick it up. Yeah, which, which I, I think everyone did on because like this book is, was still a bestseller, right? Was I think it still ended up being a bestseller, but I don't think it was for as long as um, the you know Song of Achilles was. Right? Did I make that up? Are you checking? No. <laughs> Oh, okay. I thought you were checking. I'm trying I mean, to check also because chances are it were. Let's let's be honest. Come yeah, on. yeah. Had to. Yeah, I don't better. doubt that it. You know, it did good, but obviously, it didn't get the kind of attention that after I had yeah. read it, I was like, "Come on, like we're all gonna be talking about this." Like it was to the point that I remember when I had started at my job at the time, like literally my job last year. Um, I had met people who had read. Uh, song of the keys at my work and I was like yeah and Cersei was so great right and they had not gotten around to it well where, where did they like, did they why, why where, not? where did they get song of they were also Tumblr kids okay, they were Tumblr kids. Okay. yeah they were like me they, and but they had not read Cersei and I was really shocked it's like guys actually I literally don't know anyone else personally who has who also had read song of the keys and then Red Cersei after. Like, I, when I was telling my friends also about this miniseries, I had a lot of people be like, oh, I haven't even read Cersei. I yeah. Like, Guys, come on. I mean, like, that, that's ultimately, like, that's ultimately the big appeal I have for this book is that, I mean, like, we should have said it almost on the top of the episode, but if you haven't read Cersei already, like, obviously you definitely should. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, like, well, that's our, our rating thing. Here's sort of the, alarming thing is that like or not really alarming but like sort of like intriguing thing is that um i remember i was looking at um what accolades it had gotten and the most interesting one that i'd seen was that paste magazine had compiled a list of the most important books or the best books of the 2010s last year and number one they had given to underground railroad by colson whitehead 
Number two they gave to Cersei. Number two was this? Yeah. Wow. So it was for me, it was like, whoa, this I don't know yeah. what the other like book rankings or anything like gave to it. But yeah. the fact that like one, that she's no, on... one of these like big magazines saw yeah. the opportunity to say, No, you know what, we're gonna call our shot. This is number two, mm-hmm. the best of yeah. the decade. Agreed. And this is again higher than like I I'm like like, like Sally stuff, stuff too. Swamplandia and, was there, and, and I love. Oh, okay, I, yeah. I read Swamplandia by yeah, Cameron earlier this year. I really loved it, and this was higher than that. Yeah, I'm trying to think of other ones too that would have been. I mean, there anyway, were, there were, but, but yeah, yeah, I get you. Yeah, so so like for me, like I. It's really sayang. I don't get I, why. Also, I mean, like okay, here here's my only qualm though. It's like okay, like if we were to say like it's required, like if it's required reading. I I can't fully justify it in a framework of requirement in the same way that we've talked about like Sally Rooney's oh, books. Where like okay, like when we said that when or at least when I said that normal people I thought was required reading, it came from like seeing how uh normal people like really fit into this kind of framework of the present and um like okay, capturing sort of the self-aware okay. like mindset of uh, of like people today, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. It, I mean, like ultimately, what we could be just saying is that yet again, our evaluation system is still flawed, which is fine because we're still growing. But then i i i wanna I wanna find a way to like justify like how does this fit in like a reading list or mm-hmm. into a into coursework? Like where where does this yeah. fit in? What would Paste say? Well, no, they were saying that it was, it was, I mean, like they talked about how the retelling and how the evocative language uh, brought out this very compelling character from someone who was basically a side character in Odyssey, which is the sentiment I've like heard echoed by very much everyone. But this is different Mm -hmm. in the sense that they assigned a ranking to it. Yeah, they like, gave it. Hey, like, out of all the books, this two actually is number like two. For yeah. for the reasons that everyone says it's good. Yeah, I yeah, yeah and I would do the same. same. Like I would, if, if we, we were, were to follow, follow our uh, traditional rankings, rankings, rankings. rankings. Um, I would also say that this is required. Mm-hmm. And um, but, but what I wanted to mention also when we got to this part is that I. Would recommend and require both this and Song of Achilles, no matter what your um, experience is with the epics. Like, um, I read Song of Achilles after I had read Iliad, and I read this, but I've never read the Odyssey. Right. And either way, they like affected me, and they really sat with me. Um, and uh, I feel like there's a case for that. Going back to you know the flexibility of the the um, the original works because um, and I, you know that's what Madeline's trying to do with all these things like she's just retelling them so that we can have better perspectives of stories that might have never existed and I think that to some to a lot of people that's like enough yeah. to get them to like read yeah. it you know yeah because she was she was quite. She's been quite conscious and and like deliberate about that, like saying like mm-hmm. there's this aspect of it where like with Song of Achilles, she really wanted to focus on like this narrative that would go against homophobia, 
and mm. then with this one it's a narrative it's that would go women. yeah it would be from a woman's perspective and she always knew it was wow. going to be first person so you have all these things i i i was i want to like recount there's this one anecdote that she told where um her classics professor like she had never told the classics professor who's like this very well respected scholar in the field uh, that she was writing a book about the iliad that she was writing basically yeah. a novel about the iliad and the only time she decided to tell him was when she was holding the final proof copy of song of achilles Manuscript? in her hands like the f- oh, final shit. proof like it had already gone through the publishers and like it was oh, ready wow. to come out and then that's when she finally oh. called um her mentor up and she was so scared and she was like hey yeah. so i uh, i wrote uh, this book about um achilles and patroclus and the mentor was like i hope you made them gay <laughs> <laughs> And she was like, the whole time, that's what I wanted to hear. And she's like, yes, I did. (laughs) It's like, yeah. Also, (laughs) I really feel like she wouldn't have told him. Yeah. If she wasn't hoping or like thinking that this is definitely going to be his reaction. Yeah. Yeah. And also, we should say, (laughs) when we were telling Leon about it as well, about like we had a similar. (laughs) Yeah, we had a similar. Situation where when he was recording his bit and he had called them friends, <laughs> two of us messaged each other while he was talking, and we were just like, "Oh my god, we gotta tell them that they're gay." Very frantic. <laughs> and then, but it was great. Afterwards, he was totally like, "Oh, is this? It's because they're lovers?" And we were like, "Yes, they are. Yeah. Thank you. That was great. That that did validate me, though." Right. Okay. Well, I guess that uh, we can close the book then. On Madeline Miller. Yeah. That's another miniseries in the can. Uh, I, 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 I'm pretty excited now because, like, we've been basically doing this for a month. Um, and, like, so far, like, we're, 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 we're still settling into, like, I guess our way of doing this, figuring out what's the best way to do this or ways to improve the show and, like, continuously, like, add on things that uh, hopefully will make the show better. Um, but like one of the ways that we've decided to do that is even in the planning of our miniseries. So like when we started the show and said, okay, well, we'll do Sally Rooney. Like I was saying that coming out of my recent experience of her and me mm-hmm. assuring you that, oh, hey, this is going to be easy to read. I think we can both get through this and get like an interesting conversation out of it. And also because the miniseries. Yeah. And also the miniseries, which you had seen bits of. So you were like, okay, I'd, I'd want to do this. And then when it came to Madeline Miller, like it was, I, I was saying like I'm willing to meet you on this level now because I, yeah, I feel like it's an interesting thing that we can talk about where you get to tap into your yeah. experience of it, and we also get to see right. new things about it together. So, so a little bit of it so far has been uh, my comfort zone, and then what's in your comfort zone. And then- yeah, which is great. Which is great because that being said, that being said, oh, the third, yet. yeah, the third, okay, yes, you're, the third writer that we are going to cover is someone who is in neither, neither of, us. of our comfort <laughs> zones because we yep. have not read majority of this writer's of work. Her, yeah, we've read. Um, it and, could, could it took, uh, help me <laughs> combined. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah, combined. You and I have read one, one. and a half works. <laughs> Why? Well, yeah. Yeah, that's right. I the thing. Okay, so the thing is, like, we really want to take this as a challenge upon ourselves because um, to fill in this blind spot and also to be able to try to like 
coax out like an intelligent discussion of someone who we're still like getting the hang of. And we started reading the first mm-hmm. book of this writer's bibliography. And like so far, I, I don't know about you, but I'm quite liking it so far. Like I don't know how I managed to stay away from this writer this long. But mm-hmm. like, yeah, no, I feel then that. again, I no one should really be surprised because this writer, I think, is pretty much like already a living legend at this rate. Yes. Like someone Very who true. has already been in the canon, like highly canonized respected. and highly respected by the critics and mm-hmm. by ordinary and readers alike and scholars. So mm-hmm. uh, they have a very long and storied career and we can't wait to get into it. That being said, our next miniseries is on the books of Zadie Smith. So uh, get ready for that. I hope you can join us all for this ride, beginning with our next Mm -hmm. episode in two weeks on White Teeth. And this is the series that's going to take us all the way to next year because this is finally more than two books. Yeah, yeah. This is what I was. I was going to say she's done a lot. Yeah. So we're we're doing her, which we will get. Two. We're uh we're doing White Teeth Autograph Man, um on Beauty mm-hmm. N.W. Swing Time and ending with Grand Union, her collection of short stories. Yes. So uh, yeah, I guess, I guess that's it. We we basically cleared all the business for tonight, today, uh, whatever time you're listening to this on. Yeah, for us it's a. It's, oh, it's 2 a.m. It's 2 a.m. <laughs> it's 2 a.m. Right? I feel like I'm yeah. waking up everyone in the house. All right. Well, it's okay. thanks everyone thank for, you for this. listening. Thank you for listening, to, everybody. Yeah, thank you for listening, everyone, to the rec room. Uh, if you like the show, please remember to consider giving us a rating, a review, or even subscribing if this is your first time to listen to the show. Uh, we're happy to hear from you on social media. We're on uh, at the rec room pod. Rec spelled R-E-Q. Or you could just look for the rec room with Mandy and Mio, as you're already you can already tell them it's spelled. Um yeah. Mandy, do you have anything you wanna leave the listeners on? Um uh, read this book. I don't know. Yeah, I'm assuming or if you haven't already, you yeah. know. Read it again. Tell more people to read it. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> That's it. And as always <laughs> Odysseus, son of Laertes. Oh my gosh. This is worse than the first time I did it. Yeah, I was like, what are you doing? You hard pressed. You were dry as ways in winter, but there is no other here. What? (laughs) (laughs) I tried to like... What's happening? I wanted to do like a longer bit. I googled songs Bernadette Peters is best known for and I realized I didn't know almost all of them. Oh my god. Anyway, that's what, it. So what are you reading from now? I could not understand a word uh, you were saying. Nothing. I wasn't reading anything. Goodbye. Okay. Alright. Thanks for listening to The Rec Room. This episode was edited by me. Our artwork is by Mandy. Our theme song is 64 Sundays by Twin Musicom, which is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution License. Check out more of their music at www.twinmusicom.org. For more updates on The Rec Room, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at The Rec Room Pod. Rec spelled R-E-Q.